Welcome to Tracklisting, the podcast where a musician, a comedian, and a painter review old soundtracks for some reason. Nick. Chris. And I'm Caleb, and this week it is my pick. I have chosen for this episode from 1995, the movie Seven. Yeah! All right. All right. There we go. The movie and soundtrack, I should say. Uh, This was a movie that I remember watching when, you know, I was like 14 when it came out. I think I was probably 14 when I watched it. I think I was like on a like a school field trip or something. I remember I was wearing a you watched this on a school field trip. Great field trip. Maybe. We were we were like uh, <laughs> staying in a hotel, and it was like one of those like it was, I don't you know. We're not going to get caught for watching this. Well, kind of there was like no you know we were kind of close to adulthood. I remember I was wearing a Smashing Pumpkins T-shirt that I just bought. It was like the zero. Nice. And I was like, yeah, like here I'm out on my own, like. You know, no adults were watching a movie and uh, really fucked me up. (laughs) (laughs) But I loved it. Uh, This is not a soundtrack that I owned or really a soundtrack I was totally familiar with. Uh, But a while ago when I was like thinking about soundtracks, I checked in on it and it actually seemed pretty interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, How about you guys? What was your seven experience? (laughs) I owned the the DVD, which had some good special features. Definitely watched the commentary back in the day. Uh, yeah, never paid attention to the soundtrack. I don't think I ever saw it at Borders yeah. back in the day. But um, yeah, looking at the track list right here, and uh, it's looking pretty good. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited about it. I, I uh, rewatched it on DVD just for nostalgia's sake, and it looked like complete horseshit. It looked so bad. <laughs> it's very dark. <laughs> yeah, it's a yeah. I think it's a, there's a beautiful movie, but uh, when those pixels come flying at you, it's a little crazy. I had like the brightness all the way up, and I'm <laughs> squinting at my laptop watching this movie. I'm like, I have to turn off all the lights. <laughs> Just yeah. watched it in the it's dark. Like that episode the of Game of Thrones. I was like, why is it so dark? <laughs> it's Fincher. It's Fincher. <laughs> it's Fincher. He loves the dark. <laughs> it's Fincher. So this is David Fincher's second feature film. Uh, let's jump into the first track. Let's do it. Let's hear track one. This is the Statler Brothers with In the Beginning. He made all creatures that live in the earth and taught them to live by his then as he rested the Lord sanctified the seventh day for man yeah this is a kind of a country vocal group I, I read that they got their start opening up for Johnny Cash and uh a regular on the johnny cash show yeah this might be one of the only songs that i didn't hear in the movie yeah i don't remember this in the film maybe it was in a deleted scene where john doe was like playing it for that big fat guy as he fed him spaghetti or whatever oh my goodness (laughs) (laughs) but it's a song the kind of nominally nominally is about the uh i think it mentions like the seven sins or whatever i don't know something uh, I do not believe it was in the film. Not yeah. that I could find or not what I could find on the internet. Which is a little bizarre because there there are a couple prominent songs, mostly like the opening track for the opening credits. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess there's a scene and then it goes to credits and it's a coil remix of Nine Inch Nails. Mm-hmm. Which closer, I wish closer. was on the soundtrack. Yeah. 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 I was disappointed. I wish that was on the soundtrack, especially because like it was a start of, uh, I guess, like a long collaboration between Trent Reznor and David Fincher. Yeah. Um, that's not it. And then there's like a, a very 90s David Bowie song to close out. Mm-hmm. And neither, neither of those tracks are on the soundtrack. Yeah, I think they were originally using like the original version of uh, Closer when they were cutting together the uh, title credits, which are amazing title credits. Yeah. yeah. Maybe yeah. better than the movie. <laughs> 
apparently some direct <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but I think that cool. I think that guy who did the uh, the title credits uh, is so good at he you know he's done title credits for everything you could ever imagine, and some directors have said that they uh, they don't want to work with him because they think the uh, the titles will overshadow the piece. <laughs> Wait, was, is this like the True Detective guy, or is this what what else has he done title credit wise? You may remember such uh, classic films as Curly Sue, of course, and uh, yeah. Home Alone Two, Tropic Thunder, Zoolander. Wow, I don't remember those films, but I do remember the credits, <laughs> <laughs> which is a credit to him. Uh, <laughs> I was That's, ta- um, Kyle Cooper. Kyle Shout Cooper. out to Kyle Cooper. Shout out to Kyle Cooper. It looks like he's done over three hundred and fifty title sequences. Oh, so he's done it all. He's the guy. Well, yeah, he's the yeah. Guy. <laughs> I was talking to Steph because we were rewatching it, and she was commenting on how like uh, how cool the credits were, and I had a theory that it might be half true, which was. Back in the day, like uh, the opening credits, they were literally just credits and they were really long and you see everything because like you get somebody in the movie theater, they've already paid. So you can just like, you know, people get comfortable, the credits are rolling yeah. and then the movie starts. But I think that once, you know, movies started to be on television so much and they had to like hold their like uh, hold people's attention, then in, like the first time somebody was like, maybe we do something fun during the credits where it's like part of the movie and then everything after that like is just like why are we sitting around just staring at words yeah <laughs> uh that being said like uh you know old television credits are like just as arduous <laughs> i don't know well you know the used you used to have to have the whole credit sequence before the film started oh, yeah with like the union stuff mm-hmm. and you know who uh gave the big middle finger to that um no i don't know george lucas Oh, with Star really? Wars, he was oh, like, well, "I'm not gonna do that." <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was like, at a certain point, they were like, "We're filming these at sea, no laws." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that was, yeah, that was a lot of like why he set up the studios like in England to do a lot of stuff. He was like trying to, <laughs> was, like, lovable little union buster, <laughs> uh, Georgie. Yeah, but these, uh, <laughs> what I was reading like a story about these opening credits, which was. Uh, Fincher is famous now for being a meticulous director where I remember reading a story about when he did the film Zodiac. Great he film. like he like Great had film. the yeah, that might be my favorite Fincher film, but maybe that's just like a nerdy thing to say, but he would have like the set designers fill every drawer with like uh period specific like pencils and shit in like the newsrooms, like drawers that never open. <laughs> Because yeah, it's devil's like, in the details. Yeah, this kind of God. thing. It's like, if we're doing this, we're doing this and everything. And I think that uh, as like an early kind of, you know, this is only Fincher's second film after uh, his his like failed Alien 3. Yeah, he almost like didn't uh, want to make movies after that yeah, experience. Yeah. <laughs> Alien 3 is crazy. Not at all like any of the other Alien movies. Yeah, he like, I think he got fired from that movie a few times uh, during, <laughs> few his, times. during the making of it. But anyways, uh, in the course of, I think, pre-production for this film, <laughs> he apparently spent like twelve or $15,000 on uh, John Doe's notebooks. Yeah. Yeah, which yeah. was like uh, he, you know, a couple production designers or artists they were employed to like make a bunch of these crazy like serial killer notebooks. Mm-hmm. There's that, a thousand uh, of them, two hundred and fifty <laughs> pages thick. Yeah, wall to wall script. <laughs> which you only you only kind of see them like in passing, and like at one point you're flipping through them. So I think there was a certain amount of like, well, we got to get our money's worth on these fucking things. And so that <laughs> was crazy. the original notion is like maybe we maybe we show a little bit more of these notebooks and it was like that that's like kind of the uh, conception of that opening credit scene statler brothers sound like something that um 
the Cohen brothers would love. Yeah. Very, like, you know, some of that smooth crooning, uh, ghost cowboy songs. <laughs> you guys want to hear some of track two? Yeah, let's do it. This is gravity kills with guilty. This is, uh, I think in my head when I was thinking of what a seven soundtrack would sound like, I kind of expected it just to be nonstop this. <laughs> yeah. Industrial rock. Yeah. 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 I remember this song I had like, a. it was some compilation. It was like the X games ESPN put out like an X games compilation CD and this was on Speaking it. Speaking of X games. Oh, here we go. Gravity kills was a uh, band from playing the X games because the uh, promoters thought the crowd would get too violent, which, uh, the band thought was, uh, kind of a uh they kind of took it as like a cool compliment <laughs> yeah, it's like, a badge nice, of honor nice. definitely yeah, yeah. yeah too violent for the x games that's us <laughs> yeah dude i had uh, i had recently watched the documentary about woodstock 99 on recommendation of uh of chris here yes and uh <laughs> when i was i was in prepping for this episode i was like i had to double check to see that they weren't on the bill because uh this is a little bit early probably but this is i think that this song was on the soundtrack before their first album came out i think it only been released as a single so uh, i was like maybe they're on like the second stage at fucking woodstock 99 because this is like the energy of woodstock 99 <laughs> <laughs> they've got uh, some music on mortal Kombat, uh yeah. escape from la oh nice kissing a fool of all movies <laughs> all right <laughs> yeah yeah. Uh, this is uh, in the film. This is kind of a scene around probably the most terrifying. I should say, yeah. in re- on rewatching this movie as an adult, I found it even more terrifying. Yeah, I, I remember being young enough. I think I was about fourteen when I first saw this too, and I remember like just being like, "Whoa, movies! There's so many like crazy movies out there. Have you seen Seven? Have you seen seven? <laughs> you know?" And then like even today, rewatching it, I was like, "Oh, this is like." way bleaker and more just like I, I was more disturbed by it uh and that like i'm like oh man the world is shit <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah as a kid i was like more scarred by it mm-hmm. but as an adult with like the added benefit of like a little bit of empathy yeah. i was like bummed out by it too <laughs> yeah now we're jumping right in here with this song this is at uh, wild bill's leather shop yeah yeah <laughs> uh, where wild bill has been uh, asked by john doe to um make a certain um a piece i don't know performance art <laughs> a piece performance art piece uh, oh my god to put it lightly yeah yeah this the, uh, the fucking darkest the pretzel. old knife dildo the old knife strap on i read so. uh i read a little bit of a trivia thing you probably did too about the uh, an actor that i recognize uh, especially for like a lot of like television roles but the actor who is uh wild bill no, the the guy who, Greasy who was for, guy? the guy who was forced to wear the the knife oh, strap yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like a character actor. Um, yeah, he was like weirdly in Alien Four, but not Alien Three. But I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I read that he like he auditioned and he joked about like uh, or, or the producers were like joked to, that he should be, like lose some weight or something because he showed up really skinny yeah. and he like lost more weight and then he like stayed up for three days in preparation for like. Oh, yeah. 
his scene. And, and it like terrified uh, McGinley, yeah, who you may yeah. remember who played Bob in Office Space. Yeah, yeah, yeah also from Scrubs. Dr. Cox like, and Scrubs. His reaction in the film is like a genuine reaction. <laughs> he finds him. I, I, oh no no no! We're, we're talking about the. Uh, no, no. You're talking about the sloth guy. We're oh, talking yeah. about the lust. Um, uh, he's like uh, a classic mix up. Yeah, classic yeah. mix up. <laughs> he's like a. He's the guy. like I, I, I fucked her. I fucked her. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, so yeah. it's so disturbing. Right, so right, fucking right. Disturbing. Sorry to joke about it, but I'm gonna continue. <laughs> I'm gonna keep joking about it. Trigger warning for everybody. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. This is our first Fincher, by the way. I could have sworn we'd recorded the Fight Club soundtrack, no, but that's just a Mandela venture. effect. First yeah. venture. Yeah. yeah. We, we were like, <laughs> we've done it, right? Yeah, we've done Fight Club. Caleb was like, no, no, no we haven't. We have, yeah. You you must have not been there, and we must have not released <laughs> yeah. it on our normal feet. This is behind the paywall, <laughs> yeah, yeah. making Chris. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I, like watching this movie, I was kind of like, uh, I guess maybe I was expecting it to be cheesier you know, and, you know, after the years have gone by, just be like, oh, yeah, like well, I saw it when I was a kid and it was like seemed really fucking like bleak and serious. And no, it is that it is that. And I think I was just uh, my mind had maybe been a little bit shaded by like a lot of like uh, criminal minds and kind of like. I, I thought the same thing, man. I, yeah. I was like, this is what all those shows are trying to be. Yeah. And they're getting like darker and more twisted, but they can't do it right. And it's all ham. Like criminal minds is a terrible show. Yeah. Well, there's, there's kind of like this true crime, like, uh, you know, it's like rosé gore. It's like this, like, Oh my God. It's like, Oh, the unsub he's, you know, he's stacking the heads up and it just, it's so kind of like cartoonish and weird that yeah. it, it's like camp. Yeah. And I was kind of expecting that to like move backwards in time and make this like uh, less affecting, but it doesn't because this movie's really yeah, well it's made. Like, I think the studio was like, "What about if we like, you know, just imply what happened?" <laughs> Fincher's like, "No, no, no, we're gonna we're gonna, we're gonna show it. it all." I mean, you know, I watched the movie probably like five or six times um, in middle school mm. and didn't really feel the need to rewatch it in preparation for the episode because yeah. it was so disturbing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was, um, yeah, I was kind of, whenever I watch a movie, I haven't, like, for uh, one of these episodes, a movie that I haven't seen in years and years, I always, like, uh, a lot of things that I misremembered or didn't remember at all, and I was kind of expecting the same experience, and I remembered every single thing in this movie. It's it's imprinted. Yeah. (laughs) It was exactly how I remembered it. I probably could have done the episode without rewatching it, even though I probably haven't seen it in about 10 years or so, but... um, yeah, no, it's like, well, because it also follows like the structure of the um, the seven deadly sins. Yeah, yeah. So you remember like, oh yeah, this guy was gluttony, this guy was slu-. so like you kind of know how it sets it up. But I would say I I didn't remember that it was all takes place in the course of seven days, and that mm-hmm. was kind of uh, it gets a little bit of like the Danny Glover at the beginning. It's like Danny who? Danny Dan- Glover from uh, Glover or Glover? Danny Glover. Danny Glover. <laughs> no, 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 Glover? Just, just giving you a hard time. <laughs> Danny Clover. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like the whole like, ah, I'm too old for this city. Yeah. I got seven more days. It's yeah. like, ah, what's the worst going to happen? <laughs> you guys have anything more to say about Gravity Kills? Maybe, yeah, I don't know, knock off Nine Inch Nails? Uh, yes, it definitely is that. And, uh, you know, I think that if Trent Reznor hadn't like developed into this kind of like a uh, score genius, like uh, ambient music uh, version of himself, I think he would be remembered like a little bit dimly because that whole nineties, like uh, industrial aesthetic has not aged well in the S and M world. It's going strong though. It still <laughs> works well. So you guys want to hear track three? Let's do it. This is Marvin Gaye with trouble man. I'm checking trouble. Sure. Moving down the line. 
now we're now we're cooking. This is a, a theme song from a black exploitation film that Marvin Gaye did the music for. Yeah, this is uh, from a soundtrack. Yeah, soundtrack on the soundtrack. How many studio albums would you uh, guess that Marvin Gaye has? Ooh, like full length? Because it's funny, he... Just regular studio albums. Well, he started with Motown, so a lot of the early stuff was like singles. Everything was a single. And then like some of like the the duets. I guess LPs is what I'm saying. Yeah. I think it's lower than you would think. But is, am I going the different direction? Trouble Man is Marvin Gaye's... 12th album out of 17. Oh man, that was way off. <laughs> yeah, and I guess he kind of had more um, creative control on that album and he recorded everything, produced everything himself for Trouble Man. And uh, I was listening to some of the other songs on that soundtrack and there's a track called Deep In It, which is basically just Marvin Gaye like messing around with a mini Moog synthesizer. Cool. And it's kind of cool to hear him just like play around with uh, playing synth stuff. And I guess like for that album as well, he brought in some players from the Funk Brothers and some of the members of um, Hamilton Bohannon's band. Yeah. So he just had like this like superstar, you know, funk cast of musicians. This is also Marvin Gaye coming right off of uh, making of What's Going On. Yeah. Which is pretty amazing. He was just like on fire. Yeah, this was his like uh, best period. I remember (laughs) this song has like kind of an outsized presence in pop culture right now because in uh, it was Captain America Winter Soldier, which is uh, probably my favorite Marvel movie. It's really. Yeah, I haven't seen it. Oh, yeah, I think it's the best one. But uh, that's where he meets um, Sam Wilson, who is the the Falcon, who becomes a Falcon later. And they're like talking about something. He's like, oh, he like makes some reference to the song. And Captain America's like, what? And he's like, oh, it's it's like the best song. And Captain America, he like pulls out this notepad and he like has a list of things to catch up on. Oh yeah, because he's you know from the fifties. Yeah, originally. it's a lot of like the Beatles, Star Wars, and it's it's apparently the list is different depending on like the country uh, that you're <laughs> oh, watching it yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that meme. It's like every different country has a different list. Yeah, like stuff. in England, it's like James Bond and like stuff like that. But uh, yeah, this is the one that he writes down, and then I think at the end of the film, he's like listening to it or something. Do we know if this song was in Seven? Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. during the uh, the dinner that uh, the late supper that Somerset Morgan Freeman's character is invited yeah. over to. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow. Uh, oh yeah, he goes to the apartment. Yeah, this is. Yeah. <laughs> it's like rumbling from the <laughs> subway. Yeah, yeah. It's laughs like, in their face. <laughs> it's like the Simpsons thing where it's like a, an apartment with it's like above bowling alley. <laughs> it's above the subway and or it's like below the subway. Like the, the, re- <laughs> the realtor shows it to you, like you know, yeah, at yeah. a time where there's no trains. Yeah, and yeah. That was the, what yeah. that's like. Yeah, that's a real thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've uh, I try to stay in uh, the apartment as long as I can uh, <laughs> in New York just in case you get I'm like, we're close to the subway. I'm just gonna like and I'm gonna shout loudly to see if any neighbors shout back. <laughs> yeah, one of the funny things about this movie in recollection, I remember when I watched it when I first watched it, you know, I hadn't lived many places, but I assumed that it was set in Seattle because it's always raining, it's like raining so much and uh. The truth is that the movie is set in... They go through lengths of not saying where it's set. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of like a... Upstate, the city. Yeah. It was shot in LA, but I don't think in the movie they ever say specifically which city they're in. It's shot in in LA. It's intentional, yeah. It's definitely, you know, watching it now, it's kind of like, you know, it reminds me of kind of like Joker or something where it's like a fictionalized, like, shitty city (laughs) where they make every every single building is like really shitty. Yeah. I mean, it looks like Gotham. Yeah. It really does. Like, it looks terrifying. And it's only because like having lived in cities, you're like, oh, that's, this doesn't seem quite real. But, uh, 
Steph was like, I think it was in Philly. I think everybody <laughs> thinks it's like where they're from. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I the fan theory I heard uh, was uh, as a kid that um, they don't say the name of the city because it's supposed to be that they're in hell and you don't see like a ton of like like everyone's kind of got like a weird uh, twisted backstory and like everyone maybe besides Gwyneth Paltrow and, and Somerset uh, Morgan Freeman like is a fucked up person that's like you know it's just like a tie in that the movie's just like this meditation on evil mm-hmm. I think that like the seven layers of a very Dante <laughs> so what, what I read Dante is that the, the screenwriter yeah. uh, he, he based or he got the idea for the movie on the fact that he was like living for a short time or maybe, I don't know how short but he was living for a time in New York City and he fucking hated it so it was like an exaggerated version of New York City. Yeah. And it's... Uh, That's what it feels like the most to me. But yeah, then you yeah. see buildings and you're like, no, there's no way. Like, it, it didn't quite make sense, the size. And, yeah, then, yeah. and there's alleyways, too, which don't, we don't have in New York. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> I think it was definitely like, yeah, the idea of like, you just, <laughs> you got to get out of here. <laughs> just get out of the city. <laughs> I think the thing with the rain, you mentioned that it was raining all the time. It's like, not only did that tie into like the aesthetic of the movies, you know, it needed to be really dark and um, just kind of like represent the city that's like decaying. Yeah. But um, they only had Brad Pitt for 55 days, like strictly to shoot the film. Oh, wow. So Fincher figured if we just get rain machines for the whole shoot, just in case that it rains one day and it's, there's some kind of continuity error, oh. we're just going to have it rain all the time, yeah. just yeah, in case yeah. it rains once while we're outside. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think the screenwriter, Andrew Kevin Walker, he had like a finished draft of the screenplay by 91 when he was working at a Tower Records in New York City. Yeah. And he showed the script to uh, to David Kopp. And the response that David gave him was like, I think you need, uh, I think you need help. And he, <laughs> and he thought he meant like, oh, you need like a writing teacher. And he's like, no, I no, think no. you need like psychiatric. Go help. to a therapist. You need yeah, yeah. <laughs> <that> therapy. <laughs> oh, man, that's really funny. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I was talking about uh, how influential this movie is for things that I don't like. <laughs> I, there's definitely a few of these setups that I feel like directly led to the Saw franchise. Yeah. It's like the, uh, the pride, I think the one, like the one murder that I didn't remember hardly at all was pride. And it was like a thing where it's like somebody could, could choose to call the police or take a bunch of sleeping pills and supermodel the The supermodel. It's the same kind of like rather die than like live with scars. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, Certain people saw it and they're like, That's "Yes, that. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, twisted uh, things that make them actually a bad person if they do it, so they kill themselves." Um, man, we're going dark tonight. Yeah, <laughs> this man. is a dark movie. This is a dark movie. What a fun should, movie! Should we lighten it up with track four? Yeah, let's do it. This is Gloria Lynn with "Speaking of Happiness." Speaking of happiness, you never thought of mine. Mentioning loneliness I feel lonely all the time Ever since you went away great i know she was contemporaries with like uh ella fitzgerald or maybe she was a little bit younger but like shared bills with uh ella fitzgerald and ray charles and 
Jimmy Mathis. Um, she wrote the lyrics to a, I guess, oh, yeah. a lyrical version of Watermelon Man, yeah, the, the Herbie, Herbie Hancock. Hancock song, Yeah, which I listened to the lyrics and she's just basically singing like, Watermelon Man. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like, all right. <laughs> Good job. There was a movie, Watermelon Man. With, oh, really? Uh, uh, Harry Belafonte. I don't know that movie. It's uh, a weird one. <laughs> <laughs> he wakes up white. Moving along. Moving right along. This is playing in the bar when uh, Morgan Freeman and uh, Brad Pitt are kind of discussing why Morgan Freeman's quitting his job. And uh, this was something I had kind of uh, forgotten since my last rewatch, but I thought it was an interesting uh, an interesting scene. It was basically kind of Morgan Friedman telling Brad Pitt how it is, and then Brad Pitt's going like, "I think you're just trying to justify why you want to quit." And but it's like the world's worth fighting for, but you know it's a terrible world out there. Like I can't, I I can't keep doing this. Basically, yeah, we might hear that line at the end of the movie. Yeah, something yeah, like yeah. that. It, 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 basically, the line at the end of the movie, the Ernest Hemingway quote, sort of sums up what his vibe was. I thought, but I yeah, the dynamic between the two detectives is so great, and uh, I I do think that. <laughs> it's a little bit of a strange like how everybody is like you really gonna leave all this behind <laughs> yeah, like, like no man yeah, get out of here <laughs> <laughs> like uh his character reminds me a lot of uh like no country old men like tommy lee jones's character of like <laughs> i just can't fucking deal with this shit anymore <laughs> uh but like <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's it's a hilarious thing of like uh of somerset which is uh morgan freeman's character when brad pitt first shows up is like why 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 are you here like why do you want to move to this fucking city you fought to come here yeah you requested this transfer specifically you got your like three dogs in a car (laughs) apparently the uh original opening shot of the movie was uh morgan freeman uh buying a house like outside the city yeah and then like taking the train back into the town oh interesting but uh you know they ended up going with the uh crazy titles yeah morgan freeman yeah, there was a scene before that where it was like they uh they're looking at a crime scene and it was like a crime of passion he's like that's it we got it and he was like did the kids see it he's like man what is your deal somerset <laughs> <laughs> shut up <laughs> it's like uh morgan freeman looks great and still looks great but uh he doesn't look like like a young man who's like quitting in his prime <laughs> it's like i don't know yeah man like everybody's got to quit sometime it's like <laughs> yeah, get your pension right yeah it's very can, close to retirement yeah and quit <laughs> <laughs> on a uh, lighter note uh gloria lynn's uh music and all of her you know recorded tapes were uh, among those hundreds of artists whose material was destroyed in the 2008 Universal uh, Fire. Uh, it's terrible. God. So, yeah, I'm going to cheer up. <laughs> um, <laughs> I did want to say, uh, I guess I probably should have said it. We, we talked about the dinner party a little bit earlier. Uh, it, it's, you know, Fincher is a great, I'm not, a, I'm not like a huge Fincher nerd. I know that there's people that are like uh, obsessed with Fincher. I like Fincher movies quite a bit and his attention to detail is great. And it's like the way that, there's so many things done to like tell the story between like these two detectives. And I think in the original script, they were kind of like equals. Yeah. And it's so much better in that at the dinner party, uh, Somerset's drinking wine yeah. and Brad Pitt's drinking beer. And at one point they kind of peel off and they start talking about the case. Yeah. 
And he's like, you want a beer? And it's like, I'll take a wine. And he comes back and it's like a pint glass full of wine. <laughs> and he hands it to, but it's like, it's just kind of like on the corners and he hands it to, uh, you know, everybody. And, and uh, Morgan Freeman's like, definitely like only thinking about the case. And he's like holding this thing and like they t- talking for a while. And then he goes to take a drink and like looks down. And he's like shocked by what he's holding. Which is <laughs> <laughs> yeah, filled to the brim. That is yeah. a pint glass full of like Jesus, man. four glasses of wine. <laughs> You guys want to jump into track five? Yes, sir. This is Johann Sebastian Bach with suite number three in D major. Bach works catalog 1068, air. Maybe our first time hearing from Johan on track listing. Bach. This is a great track. Um, great track. Written in the later half of Bach's life. He only composed four orchestral suites in his lifetime. This is definitely the most uh, well-known. Mm-hmm. And um, there are no known versions of this in Bach's handwriting. And we don't know exactly when or exactly why they were composed. But we do know that in uh, 1729, like basically at the end of Bach's life, that uh, he was the director of the uh, Leipzig Collegium Musicum, which is basically uh, university students performing music. Mm-hmm. And they would have concerts at Cafe Zimmerman, uh, like on Friday nights. And there's some evidence that some of these Bob overtures <laughs> were performed at, uh, at this coffee house. So you know, this track or this, uh, you know, this suite may be some later in life Bach uh, coffee house bullshit. <laughs> I like his early stuff, man. I don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, Whatever. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't like, uh, you know, gotten into classical music in earnest. You know, I'm a music nerd. I spend a lot of time obsessing over music and I, you know, I feel like that's probably like, you know, the final form Yeah, that I haven't quite. Well, it's, First there's jazz and then it turns yeah, yeah. into this. I've yeah, like yeah. gotten into jazz a little bit, yeah. but it's like Caleb the Gray is gonna be <laughs> the classical guy. And I always gotta like, hear this Bach, <laughs> man. You gotta hear this. Well, Bach. that's the funny thing about classical music, or one of the many funny things, I guess, is that uh, you know we know like you know that history has kind of whittled it down to you know the big composers for the most part. And um, the way that I kind of experience pop music is that. You know, I love like pop music, like the big, you know, you talk about the Beatles, like Rolling Stones, like songs that everybody knows. And then I spent a lot of time like trying to find or enjoying a lot of like kind of fringy outsider, you know, yeah, or deep, like deep cuts. Yeah. Genres that are like kind of forgotten. And we live in kind of the golden age of forgotten music because everything's accessible. Mm-hmm. And uh, in classical music, everything is not accessible because like, uh, I'm trying to picture like the classical version of myself, which is a person like rifling through like dusty old things and just like looking at sheet music and being like, Ooh, Ooh, nice. What is this? (laughs) Yeah. And apparently (laughs) I get the gang together to do it. (laughs) It's like, yeah. Apparently on the uh, sheet music for, uh, for this piece and other, um, I guess like suites, which were the trend of the day, you know, as far as like the tempo is concerned, it's kind of written to fluctuate 
because these were performed uh, as dances. So like depending on the crowd uh, that a small you know group of musicians would be performing to, if they were an older crowd, they would perform the piece a lot slower. And if they were younger, they would like amp up the tempo yeah, quite yeah. a bit to like you know, be DJ. edgy and cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, now, what makes a suite versus um, a score or something? Or oh, I have no fucking clue. Do we know? We need a uh, resident. Um, I think just like different movements. Okay. Okay. But I uh, don't have a great definition for you on that. Hmm. I should say that this is They're probably, very long, you know, like tw- yeah. t- 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this is probably one of the most prominent pieces of music in this movie. Mm-hmm. And this is a scene where Somerset, who's like, I'm not on the case, like, fuck off. And he's like, takes a cab to the library where, you know, this is a very, probably the last year where you could substitute the library for just the internet. Yeah. Like, internet exists, but it's like, it's, it's such a cool way to think of like this detective who's like cerebral and it's like okay like maybe we'll just pop over and they all know him there like it's it's all like the night crew yeah the place is closed down and they put on some uh some classical music while he rifles around in these old tomes well he makes a, a pretty cutting remark before that they're all playing cards and like smoking cigars it's like all this knowledge and you all play cards <laughs> <laughs> and he's like how's this for some culture <laughs> he puts on the yeah, yeah. johan sebastian back yeah, yeah. but it's also kind of like if you're supposed to if you're the night shift your security at like uh the big city library if you like sat down with a book like i feel like wouldn't you just fall asleep <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah totally <laughs> Like you gotta kind of like get going. Yeah, yeah. we're gonna be here all night. At least with poker, you're talking to people. Maybe you notice somebody trying to break in, (laughs) steal books. That was like kind of a big crew for a night crew at a library. Yeah, that was a hopping. If I remember that correctly, it's a big party library, though. Yeah, (laughs) but one of them was like a janitor, and one of them, like I think there were like four security guards. So it might have just been like. Kind of reminds me, like the New York Public Library. There's like a bunch of fine art hanging. There is stuff to and rare books too. So I guess you probably need a bunch of people. Get your library card, everybody. I have yeah. to assume that the the L.A. County Library is just a bunch of scripts and like picture books or whatever. <laughs> it's a bunch of early Fincher scripts. <laughs> you guys want to hear track? Uh, where are we at? Track six. Yeah. Yeah. Haircut one hundred. Love plus one. Haircut 100, amazing band. I did a little bit of uh, digging on where that name came from. And uh, they were originally called Moving England. And uh, they decided that it didn't fit their sense of humor. And they sat around uh, Nick's house, one of the band members, tossing around names such as Captain Pennyworth, Blue Penguin, Biggest Haystack in the Land. Ooh, that's a great that's a great Love name. Love it. And uh, <laughs> one of them shouted out Haircut 100. And uh, they said that that was the name that made them laugh the most and uh, basically say, like, you can't call a band Haircut 100. And I, I appreciate that. I think that's great. Yeah. What the, what the hell are you talking about? Haircut, haircut 100? Are you out of your mind? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, super great and very influential band. Yeah, yeah. I think they, 
the band itself um maybe there's two albums like they didn't put out that much i know that uh what is it nick haywood the lead singer i think went solo and had like a longer career because <laughs> i saw on spotify i think it was this one album and then a greatest hits <laughs> and i was like what <laughs> I love that. Version. That's <laughs> but the, great. But the greatest hits I think was his greatest hits, which like folded in the haircut 100 stuff reunion tour. Yeah. <laughs> you like these guys a lot, right? Caleb? I mean, I, I know this song. I know a couple of songs. I don't, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think about them a lot, but you, I, you I, love this band. Don't you do? It's his favorite band. You're wearing the shirt. man. <laughs> <laughs> I do like this song quite a bit. I, uh, I know that this song is in the movie, Mm-hmm. But I kind of refuse to believe it's in the movie because you it's in like the pizza place, I think. It's in the pizza place when they're waiting for, and it, this is his name in the credits, uh, Greasy FBI Guy. <laughs> um, Remind me what's going on in that scene. It's uh, it's something I forgot about as well, but they're like, they're looking at all these books and, I, and it turns out that the FBI flags people that check out a lot of crazy books. So he's like, you know, if you check out Mein Kampf or like something on nuclear weapons... Uh, you get a little flag and they're like, we can't as detectives, you know, it's illegal for us to be like, can you give us the names of these people? But then this, uh, you know, they they pay this FBI guy to just to give them a list of names that have checked out like stuff about. That's how they like track down his apartment. This is the only piece of detective work that they do that wasn't uh, anticipated by John Doe. Yeah. And it has to do with like a violation of civil rights, which... I should say that um, when they passed the Patriot Act, it became legal to do this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's so funny. Like, you root for cops in movies to do stuff like this. You're like, come on! They don't <laughs> gotta play by the books! And then in real life, you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, like, you guys so illegally found my name through, like, a list, and now you're at my house or yeah. something? Yeah. <laughs> but it's also one of those things where, uh, at a certain point, it's like, do libraries become a honeypot for, like, uh, catching, like... <laughs> <laughs> the mentally ill like sociopathic killers because it's like i haven't been in the library a long time <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's different different now it's like oh yeah you know yeah. they got free computers at the library go check it out <laughs> it's like one of those things where they're like giving away a boat yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's all the people with warrants out they send they yeah. call up. <laughs> i mean now it's just like if you've googled enough stuff you're, they're just like <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah you're screwed you. yeah, 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 yeah. How much? oh yeah you guys doing all right? You Venmo, you Venmo <laughs> somebody know, and you do a little bit of a, you do the pill emoji and all of a sudden you're on a list. <laughs> oh man, yeah. You got to watch out for how you pay people on Venmo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How are you guys feeling? Do you want to hear, uh, do you have anything more on uh, Haircut 100? No, no. I do, uh, this, the, the physical soundtrack, I should say this was, you know, a CD that came out in the 90s and uh, it tickles me how diverse it is and how divorced it is from your experience of watching the film. And uh, I think that there's, there was somebody involved where it's like, yeah, this is in the, and it's like, uh, it's a great listen. Uh, but you, yeah, you don't really hear the song. Yeah. Yeah. I just never remember seeing the soundtrack at a store. Was it released at the same time as the film? Yeah. That's a real thing. I guess it just like didn't make a splash. I was just like, Oh man, this is great, great music. What are you playing? Seven soundtrack. <laughs> 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 All right, all right, we, all should right. we go home? Or like, what are you doing all right? Not? You need help? <laughs> it's a weird thing to have in your collection. <laughs> yeah, I guess. All right. Feeling good about the soundtrack so far, though. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, it's been Let's great. get going. Yeah, should we hear, where are we at? Track seven, Billy Holiday, I Cover the Waterfront. I cover the waterfront 
This has definitely uh, been in the jazz American songbook for many years. Oh, yeah. One of my favorite standards, for sure. Check out um, Chris Thiele and Brad Meldow's cover of this song, which is... Uh, Wait, from Nickel Creek? Chris Thiele from Nickel Creek. Yeah. Brad Meldow on piano. Beautiful cover. Um, the title of this track, I Cover the Waterfront, is taken from a, uh, from a book of the same name, which is uh, from the early 1930s by Max Miller. Mm-hmm. Max Miller was a San Diego Sun reporter who fell in love with the Western seaboard. All right. All right. And I, I don't know if it's the exact right correlation to make, but, uh, you know, he kind of had his like Hunter Thompson, you know, investigative journalism moment and uh, just fell in love with um, the personalities of these men that were uh, living the harbor and deep sea life. Yeah, yeah. And uh, on the waterfront movie, the Marlon Brando movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, I guess just kind of wrote this like philosophical, poetic, uh, you know, uh, novel about uh, his travels. One thing that we don't cover enough, you know, this is a, a podcast about soundtracks, but we don't do any soundtracks of books, which we really probably should. Yeah, we probably should. Well... (laughs) (laughs) Audiobook, <laughs> audiobook things and the, the music they play in the background of those. Wow, well, you know, good work. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, Billie Holiday is one of those distinctive, like, beautiful voices, and uh, he's great. Sorry, <laughs> I just uh, <laughs> love him. Bad joke. I, yeah, I'm never gonna do <laughs> I thought it was funny. <laughs> I'm never gonna do the dive deeply enough to where I mean, maybe, maybe that is maybe in between my uh, jazz phase and my, I'm not, I should say I'm like only toes deep in the jazz phase, but maybe, yeah. maybe there's a Billy Holiday phase in between that and uh, my classical phase. It's but. a perfect bridge. <laughs> I mean, I, I do like the thing about the, uh, the two songwriters for I Cover the Waterfront falling in love with the book and then wanting to like turn that into a song. Yeah. And then it kind of takes on like a cinematic thing that happens. I always, I always hear that song as being very cinematic. Have you ever done that, Nick? Read a book and loved it so much that you wrote a song about it? I've not. Yeah. I've done the opposite where I've listened to a song and it's inspired me to write something else. A joke? A joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What was the uh, book? Uh... No, I listened to a song, oh, yeah, sorry. Well, and I wrote sorry. a joke about the Ghostbusters. Oh, oh. Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> this is, I think this is playing on a radio in uh, Somerset's apartment when he gets a phone call or something. Is this, is this that... is in the barber shop. Oh, uh, it's in the barber shop. So they're waiting for the FBI, <laughs> the, exact the next... greasy FBI man. Yeah, it's yeah. like the next scene from the last scene, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But... <laughs> There's like, uh, I live in a city and there's certain like inconspicuous places where you can wait without being noticed. <laughs> I, I thought the same. A pizza place. You can go and you can buy a pie. You can like have a conversation. An hour and a half. A bar is a perfect place. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, a place where you're usually noticed for waiting is a barber shop. <laughs> immediately. Like people are like, uh, can we, you're going to like usually, do you have an appointment? You're like, no, I'm just hanging out. <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> hanging <laughs> here. Yeah, two uh, two men in trench coats came in and sat in the barber shop. They didn't want anything. I think at one point they in the scene, like we one of them to... says something. I think Brad Pitt's bitching, like, "What are we even doing here?" And like, yeah. like one of the barbers is kind of looking at him. <laughs> what are you doing? And he's like, "That was money well spent." <laughs> what do you guys think about Brad Pitt's performance in this? 
it's very Brad Pitty. Yeah. Um, I remember enjoying it yeah. as a middle schooler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's good. It I doesn't think- detract at any point. It's it's true the character. I think that um, a lot of uh, things that he's... When people develop like a Brad Pitt um, caricature, it's this period of Brad Pitt. Oh, yeah. And I think that he's probably backed off from some of his like distinctive uh, tics. That's probably true. That's, I would agree with that. Yeah. Uh, there was one... I think he does a pretty good job. There is one line that I think I can't, I can't even replicate it, but they're like back at the police uh, headquarters or whatever. And he's like, this guy is a nut job. (laughs) The way way he says it, I was like, he's a nut bar. Yeah. He is a nut job. And the way he says it just sounds like so stilted. Yeah. Yeah, And Morgan Freeman's like, Hey, 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 easy there. One of my favorite like character details, it's not like an acting detail, but uh, like uh, Somerset, who we should say Somerset is is named after Somerset Maugham, uh, the writer, but uh, the character, Morgan Freeman's character, he's like, I'm not on the case, I'm not on the case. And then he like goes to the library and he like leaves this envelope with like, here's some things you might want to check out. Yeah, yeah. It's a copy and, uh, of like Dante's Inferno. Yeah. I think it's just like a <laughs> reading list. It's a reading stuff. list and he, he photocopied some stuff and... Uh, and then you see like required reading you yeah. see yeah, yeah, yeah. brad pitt who's like the lead investigator on this case and he's like in his car in the pouring rain and he's like he's trying to make sense of these like photocopy things and some uh some like beat cop runs up and he's like sent him to go out and buy all the cliff notes <laughs> yeah that's right yeah, yeah, good yeah, job yeah. trooper thank you thank you it's like oh, yeah, yeah. He's like, he freaks out about the list though too he's like fucking shit dude gotta read spark notes saved my ass in high school yeah man. for dante's inferno specifically <laughs> absolutely oh man yeah i think uh i don't think i ever i was oh yeah i was absolutely supposed to read dante's inferno i don't even know if i did the cliff notes i did that thing in the book discussion where like you either emphatically agree with somebody <laughs> or when they're like yeah i think like dante and this and i'm like no i see i didn't see it that way and they're like explain yourself like i just didn't see it that way i don't know <laughs> I think that one of uh, going back, I guess, to these last two scenes where he de- they decide to go to the FBI to try to figure out. There's a lot of movies where there's like uh, an aha moment with with like detectives or whatever. I think like one of the most uh, parodied one is in Independence Day when Jeff Goldblum's like, "We give him a code, a computer code, a virus <laughs> yeah. type of thing," right? Yeah. And it's like, I'm like, what? What the fuck is this? But it moves the plot along. Yeah. Like, I think that this one. It, it actually works yeah. where Brad Pitt is like, he's just like, oh, should we go to the fucking library? Fucking, and he's just like bitching about it. And the way that he's bitching about it makes sense with how he's been given this reading list and he resents it. And then it also makes sense that Morgan Freeman's like, oh, wait, this guy's probably fucking going to the library. Yeah. And this is like the one piece of like kind of outside the box, like investigative work that gets them to almost stop like everything terrible from happening. Yeah, you're so right. I, I do hate those like somebody sneezes and it's like sneezing. Sick. Oh, yeah. cold. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> Hang on. Let me do some calculations. <laughs> like, <you know? laughs> oh, and, yeah. So many things like break the case where like somebody's shoelace breaks. It's, 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 like, re- yeah, yeah. it's fucking really Wait. hard to do. Yeah, right. It's really hard to do well. Yeah. And I think that it's, I mean, it's a testament to that. There's so many cliches in this movie, whether they, whether this movie spawned the cliches or whether it's, uh, but everything is done so tightly and specifically that I feel like it actually works. You know, this might be a bit of a tangent, but my favorite, like, what's going on with this case? I'm totally stuck is uh, in Fargo. 
uh, when um, uh, the main detective, um, blanking on her name, what's her name? Frances McDormand. When Frances McDormand uh, meets Mike Yanagida. Yeah, and he's just like a cold flame yeah, and he's just a liar and like a total like uh yeah uh, I, I married that one girl in high school and then she died it was real sad and then like she gets on the phone and was like yeah i heard about mike's wife and they're like he, didn't, he never married that girl and no she's fine you want you should talk to her and then he's she's like wait oh wait this guy's delight wait was william h macy a liar too and then the, i think i thought that was a brilliant one too but anyway a bit of a tangent Guys, it looks like we are coming up on a break. Oh, coming up on a break. I think Nikki has a game for us after the break. I've got a game prepared. Right. I don't know what game we're playing. He's going to surprise us. That is correct. And then at the <laughs> end of the episode, <laughs> uh, as always, we're going to add a song. Each of us is going to add a song to the Tracklisting Spotify playlist. Um, in honor of Seven, we're going to add a song inspired by one of the Seven Deadly Sins. Yeah. So stay You guessed tuned. it. <laughs> <laughs> Not a stretch. <laughs> Stick with us. Welcome back to the soundtrack to seven. Before we get back to the soundtrack, I've got a game prepared for us. This is my edition of Supergroup. Supergroup! Only connect. You know, maybe not based on the uh, British game show. And this is a uh, group of four. Okay, so this is is, uh, not a sequence. This is things that have something in common, or is this a sequence? Not a sequence. Not a sequence. Four things in common. I'm going to play you four clues. Chime in at any time. But, uh, you know, an example would be if you haven't played this game before. Uh, the first song might have to do with North. The second song might have to do with okay, East. Okay. You get the idea. Cardinal directions. Yes. Yes. Are you guys ready? Do you have any questions? We're playing together. We're playing together. Play together. Uh, Let's do it. We need each other. We we're, need. We're all terrible. At this we need game. you, man. <laughs> <laughs> all right. What do all of these share in common? Here is clue one. Put on my blue suede shoes and I boarded the plane. Touchdown in the land of the Delta Blues In the middle of the pouring rain WC handy Won't you look down over me Yeah, I got a first class ticket But I'm as blue as a boy can be Then I'm walking in Memphis Just walking with my feet ten feet off a beam Walking in Memphis, but do I really feel the way I feel? I don't. I was doesn't e- ring I was, a bell. <laughs> <laughs> Walking well, in Memphis. I was excited to. I was like Memphis, Memphis. But then when it got to the chorus, now I'm like, oh, it's probably the artist who I don't. I can't remember who the artist is. Do you remember the artist? <sighs> it's not Springsteen. No, but it's close. It sounds, I think it's. Anyways, um, well, oh, it'll come to me. Maybe. <laughs> I think we're fucked. Anyways. <laughs> Second clue. Here is round one, clue two. There wouldn't be no Alamo. No cowboys in the Super Bowl. No lonesome dove, no yellow rose. 
If it wasn't for Texas George Strait George Strait wasn't for Texas Wasn't for Texas We got a We got a song about Tennessee A song about Texas Mm -hmm. Is this this, uh, skyrocketing COVID positive rates? (laughs) (laughs) No, I wouldn't be that cruel to you I don't have the top four in front of me But I think we got two of them (laughs) (laughs) Shit All right. As of recording (laughs) You guys are doing pretty good Okay okay. For clue three I know that okay. song. I can't pick the artist, but I, I feel like it's got to be Missouri. So it's like the. Well, okay. These are all cities have been mentioned in each of these. St. Louis. St. Louis, uh, Kansas City, Memphis, Memphis, San Antonio. I Spurs, think. Spurs. I think Memphis these are Grizzlies. all mentioned in another song. Mm. That's my guess. Is Wait, what's, what? What do they say in the ZZ Top song? Mm. Or no, it's like I've been bad. I've been good. Dallas, Texas, Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> like, are they doing? The, are these all? Um, what is Austin? What What is the Texas? What in the, in the George Strait song? San Antonio. What? In the clip we heard. Mm. But uh, let's see the last clue, though. Let's see if we can figure it out. Here's clue number four. There ain't no doubt in no one's mind that love's the finest thing around. Whispers something soft. And hey, baby, sky's on fire. I'm dying. So it's got to be a state thing or or city thing. So we got Carolina, South. I mean, there's two Carolinas, but Carolina, going to Carolina, Carolina, Kansas or Missouri, uh, Texas and Tennessee. Yeah, we got like uh, if it's. NFL teams, basketball teams. Could be like, uh, okay, you have like the Panthers, the yeah. Titans, the Texans, and... Memphis Grizzlies. The Chiefs? Yeah. What is that, the AFC South? Are the, Yeah, are all the AFC South? NFC South? This is not sports. Ah! It's not sports, okay. I, well, <laughs> I didn't take it sports. for a sports guy, that's why. <laughs> uh, you did say Carolina. Yeah. You did say Kansas City. You did say Texas, yeah. and you did say Memphis. Okay. Memphis, Texas, Kansas City, Carolina. Are these all, like, things that Sir Mix-a-Lot told us to jump on it? No. I feel like they're all um, mentioned in something. Like, I feel like there's one song that lists all these. That's my guess. Mm-mm. Is that not correct? You don't accept no. it? Does this have to do with barbecue? Yes. No! Are these all Texas style barbecue, Memphis style, Carolina style? That is it. That was well, great. Then why didn't you play the Williamsburg song about <laughs> Williamsburg? Fede Sau, Fede Sau. The, the, the famous <laughs> shitty Brooklyn picture barbecue. of Brooklyn barbecue. <laughs> Good job. Good job, Kevin. Hey, these, yeah, are the, these are the four main styles of barbecue yeah, yeah. Kansas City style, Memphis style, Texas style, Carolina style. Well Carolina done. Style. That, was, that, was a, that was a great You know how I knew group. that? 
I'm still digesting the barbecue that we ate like four days ago. Vermont style. <laughs> Vermont style barbecue. You left us Vermont Paul bachelor party. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the barbecue, Paul. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. All right, moving on to uh, round two. You guys ready? Feeling good? Yeah, yeah. Yes, sir. That was good. That was good. Here is clue one. That is Alec Eiffel by the Pixies. Well, there we go. I did forget to mention the uh, the artist and the song titles for round one. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was Mark Cohn with Walking in Memphis. Mark Cohn, yeah, that's right. Yeah, George that's Strait with Texas. Okay, thank God I got that. Wilbert Harrison with Kansas City. James Taylor with Carolina on my mind. Yes, 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 yes. But yes, yes. Uh, uh, right you are, Chris. Thank you. Coming in strong on Clue One. So Alec Eiffel, the Pixies. Alec Eiffel, the Pixies. Is it going to be Towers? Is it going to be a pizza? Could be towers. Could be faulty. Something about pixies. <laughs> I don't have many towers. Okay, is it Eiffel sixty five? Pixie sticks. <laughs> you guys uh, want to hear a clue too? We do, we do. We do. That song that is Daniel by Elton John. Ooh, okay. right you are, Caleb. Right so you are coming Daniel in strong, guys. Eiffel, what did you? Do? What was the the, the pixie A- song? Alec Eiffel. Alec Daniel. So Daniel, Alec. Hmm. I know what it is. You know what it is? Yeah, it's the Baldwins. Oh, that okay. is Craig Baldwin. Yeah. Alec Baldwin. Okay, no, we have to try to guess. So we got Stephen and, and uh, Billy. So we either got a Billy. Okay, so what is a, a Billy, Billy song? song? Billy Jean. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's probably that, the fourth. That would be an acceptable answer. That's okay. not what I chose. Okay, okay but uh, we have two more ones, I guess. So you said that. Wait, what is the other one? Stephen. So, Stephen. Stephen. Steve. Steve. Stephen. Stephen. Let's hear the third clue. Stephen. Stephen. Good <laughs> job, Steven, guys. Steven, good Steven, job. Steven. Come good in. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> I feel good about that. Very good. <laughs> Here is clue three. That's uh, that's I know that song. That's the Smiths with yeah. Biodome. Yeah, which is one of my favorite songs. Biodome Baldwin. It's the Smiths with Viva Rock Vegas. <laughs> that is uh, the Smiths with William. It, it was it was really nothing, William. Yeah, no. William. That's a great song. And um, do you guys have any guesses for what you might hear? Stephen. On clue four. Steve. Stephen. Stephen. St- um, What's that? Steve. <laughs> I mean, that's just cable guy. Uh, oh, Stephen. <laughs> Steven, <laughs> does does uh, is there like a theme song to like even Stevens or something? Or there is a, I think there is a Stevie Wonder co- song called Even Steven. Steven, Steven. I don't know. Let's well, hear it. Let's hear Steven. it. Here's what I got for clue four.
this is some uh, some early Taylor Swift that's uh, actually not that bad. Yeah, that's but, uh, still in her country phase. That's uh, Taylor <laughs> Swift with uh, Hey Steven. Oh. Hey Steven. Those are uh, four types of Baldwin. <laughs> four four <laughs> genres all, of Baldwin. All four types of Baldwin. Uh, yeah, first that was the Pixies with Alec Eiffel. Good job, Chris. Jesus and we heard Chris. Elton yeah, John with Daniels, the Smiths with William. It was really nothing. And Taylor Swift with Hey Steven. All right. That's the Baldwin. I thought Baldwin. of one. Uh, uh, Mrs. Stephen Rudy, that song that Mrs. Stephen Rudy, the neighborhood of beauty. You ever heard that song? <laughs> Is that a Darden song? Is no, that a Darden? No, no. It's got to be like a hot dad song about Steve Jobs. No, dude, it was, it was a country song about <laughs> like this one woman was engaged to a piece of shit named <laughs> Stephen Rudy, and my buddy Christian. No, you're just describing every country song. <laughs> <laughs> you guys ready for round three? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ready. Right. Okay, here is clue number one, round three. It's like I got a first class seat up on Ozzy's train. It's driving me insane. Five one five oh, somebody call the pull pull. I'm going crazy. Think about you, baby. Five one five oh, just a side of local. I'm going crazy. Think I love you, baby. That sounds like big and rich to me. They're the people that did um, Save a Horse, Ride a Cowboy. Nick is hitting us with a lot of like a, a genre of music we don't like celebrate enough on this podcast, which is shitty country music. <laughs> Nashville country. <laughs> uh, it's like, what was it? 5150? Is that what you're hearing? I was wondering. 5150. Somebody call the po-po. Okay, so maybe it's big crazy? and rich. Maybe it's something crazy. 5150. Let's hear the second clue. Here is clue two. Oh, you want was that Aaron Neville? If if that's not Aaron Neville, that's like one of the uh, most brutal Aaron Neville impressions I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, dude, Aaron Neville owns the. Uh, right, you are, Chris. I think it was like the Pablo Francisco impression. Yeah, it's like Aaron Neville sounds like you're changing radio station. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Aaron Neville, oh, I owe you one. One five zero five one five zero one five one five zero one one. I don't know. You guys are on the right track. You're saying all the right stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, okay. I'm, this is a little early to guess, but uh, are we getting into like some sort of weird like Levi's jeans like fits? Five oh one. Five oh one. The, the Levi. The one. One. Well, the one. Oh. <laughs> this is not jeans. This is not jeans. This is not jeans. I'm really lost. <laughs> let's hear, let's hear clue three. Here's clue number three. That's Janet Jackson, um, Bad Education. Is that you got the artist? Control, control. I don't know. 
Uh, or um, I yeah, it was. I, I mean, a lot of Janet Jackson songs sound the same to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of uh, I gotta feel like it's song title. Yeah, I think because so there too. was numbers. One five popo five oh five oh um, you one. I think we need the I fourth clue. Yeah, yeah. Let's hear it. Here is clue number four. Is this like an experiment, like control, balance? That is a Depeche Mode. Depeche so Mode. I, but I really don't think it's uh, the artist. I think it's a song title. Five, what was it? Five. Five one five zero. Oh. Five one five zero. Oh. Uh, one. One. Wait, wait or was I it zero? I owe you one. And I, then control and then balance. I owe you one, control, balance. Pretty close. Bal- that, is, that is not the Janet song. Oh, shoot. I'll give you guys a hint. The Janet song is called The Knowledge. The Knowledge. Oh, got, yeah. She's but you got all the buns. other song titles correct, and it is song titles. Balance. The, the clue is in the song title. Balance, Knowledge, 515. Oh? Wait, what? <laughs> I owe you one. I owe you one. One. These, are, these have to do with, like, TV shows? We're in the, uh, we're in the music realm. In the music realm. We're maybe in the album oh, realm. Oh, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Are these ELO albums? No. These are not ELO albums. Control and balance. Or not knowledge. You're thinking balance. of maybe balance of power. Yeah, but balance. yeah. No, these are not ELO albums. Uh, I think I'm throwing in the towel. Balance one. Wait, um. Is Radiohead? You too. Who is Balance? It. I know I know a famous album called Balance, and it's driving me nuts. Yes, you do. Fuck. Uh, Steely Dan. Let's review. We we've got uh, five one five zero. Yeah, I owe you one. The knowledge, and the Depeche Mode song is called "Get the Balance Right." Get the balance right. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You guys don't know. This is uh, Van Hagar. <laughs> oh no! These are the four Sammy. Van Halen studio albums recorded with Sammy Hagar. Oh, it's uh, fifty-one fifty. Yeah, a little bit of a uh, cruel joke on a uh, clue to the uh, Van Halen album is OU eight one two. Oh, the Air Neville song is I OU one, and uh, the other album is for unlawful carnal knowledge. Mm. And uh, the last album that. Uh, Sammy Hagar recorded on with Van Halen was Balance. Uh, that okay. is Van Hagar. Yeah. All right. All I'm right. like, uh, I'm fine with that because one thing that I haven't like cop to, I think on the podcast before is that I don't care about any Van Halen. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Come I on. Just, can, just, you can't drive 55. What? I just don't care. Well, that's, <laughs> Oh, that's, that's solo. That's, yeah, that's solo. solo. Hagar. Uh, yeah. yeah. That's not even a Van. Uh, yeah. I love that song. <laughs> but not Caleb's Halen. favorite. <laughs> Thanks for playing, hey, guys. Yeah, that was a good game. That we did pretty, pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. All things considered, out of three. All right. I was like really ready to, uh, to you know, king ourselves, king genius. <laughs> 
and then it's probably good for my ego. <laughs> good job hey, on the Baldwin's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, man, that Alec one, that was a great pull. Chris. Well, Daniel and Alec, you know, it's like, what do those names have to do with each other? But, well, anyway, yeah. Consider the source. <laughs> consider the source. <laughs> you guys ready to jump back into the seven soundtracks? Yeah, uh, I think I am. We're coming back in on track number eight. This is Charlie Parker with Now's the Time. Seated at the table, and now you're ready to listen to Charlie Parker. First time here from Charlie Parker on track listing. Charlie Parker, also known as The Bird. I'd highly recommend watching the uh, Clint Eastwood uh, biopic on Charlie Parker called Bird from uh, the late 80s, if you haven't seen that. And uh, yeah, Charlie Parker definitely shoved down our throats in music school. Uh, <laughs> this song, not so much, but a lot of the pieces that uh, we had to learn were just like, you know, almost impossible to play yeah. on guitar. Oh, man. Um, but uh, yeah, one of the best alto sax players of all time, and uh, you know, notorious for selling his uh, horn for uh, for dope, and oh, uh, people just Charlie, like Charlie tracking down his like priceless horn from uh, drug dealers so he could play uh, you know play New York gigs in the evening. Yeah, you know, it's like here, man, <laughs> knock it off. <laughs> oh God, damn, dude, such a tragic end. But uh, yeah. Wait, so my question is, in music school, when you listen to one of these Charlie Parker songs, I mean, they were originally recorded as, like, an improv, right? Were they improv or improvisational recordings? Yeah, well, I, I mean, mean, they're, 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 they're compositions, so they can be recreated, but they're different every time. There's, the, there's, like, the main melody that you refer to as the head, okay, and you play the head, like, you know, that's kind of the form, and then once, that's, uh, once you finish that, you kind of trade solos with people. And that's where the improvisation comes in, and you're improving over the melody of the song. Yes. And then you kind of take off from there, and then you wrap it up at the end, and you come back and you play the head again at oh. the end. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like one of the like the thing that I was thinking about the most when I was like looking into this song is kind of the correlation between jazz and hip hop. In that, uh, so this is a Charlie Parker song, and uh, but I I had to like pick a section where it was him soloing. And on this song is also Miles Davis and Dizzy Gillespie and, uh, you know, Curly Russell, Max Roach, Max Roach, like famous drum player. And Roy, it's like, Roy Donk. Roy Donk. <laughs> Roy Donk. Paul Bufano. Uh, but it's all like the, the idea that all the greats. every time you like look into, you know, as, as I'm like uh, getting into my jazz phase uh, and the nascent, the nascent phases of my jazz phase, it's like, uh, yeah, you're like, oh, who is this? And it's like, yeah, this is like, you know, the famous saxophone player and you listen to it and then like somebody comes in piano does something crazy and you're like, oh, who's that? And it's like, oh, that's also, yeah, the most famous piano player. It's like these five guys on every record, like doing all the parts. And uh, there's a lot of like uh, stories of, because like the the publishing rights were held by the, the, you know, whoever like decided the composition, whatever. And it's like Miles Davis, like some, like kind of blue. And people were like, oh, like, you know, 
that's on your record but that was like my thing and he's like fuck you yeah yeah (laughs) publishing nightmare for some of those like improv studio albums yeah man get the publishing rights that's the that's the key to all this stuff jazz musicians are notoriously you know uh struggling you know most of the time oh man Yeah. yeah Yeah, I can't imagine jazz musicians now. I think there was a movie about this. It was about Hollywood. <laughs> J.K. Simmons. J.K. Simmons. No, no, no. no. About, oh. um, uh, uh, the Ryan Gosling, Emma. Oh, blah 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 blah. It's like jazz. No, I think is you're great. thinking of Moonlight. Moonlight. That's oh, Moonlight. That's moonlight. That's moonlight. That's it's Moonlight. It's Moonlight. Common <laughs> mistake. A lot of people fix yeah. that up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that this this song is playing. Um, af- this, this is like part of the dinner party too. I think this is um, when Somerset uh, is just in his. He's listening to the radio at his home. Oh, okay. So he's but, in his house, and he's got. He must be a jazz guy. He's got the metronome clicking <laughs> back and forth. I wanted him to play something. At <laughs> the some metronome point. was the one thing that uh, drove Steph crazy. Yeah, it's a little. Uh, she was like, nobody would do that. <laughs> I want to be driven crazy right now. I was by like, listening yeah, well, to a metronome by myself. Nobody would tie a fat guy down and feed him till he died either. But this is like a movie. <laughs> We're like watching a movie. But this is when he receives the phone call from Tracy played by Gwyneth Paltrow. And they have that weird diner meeting um, yeah. in which I was like, Gwyneth Paltrow is really good in this. I thought she was great. We should say this is pre goop. Yeah. Uh, pre like <laughs> pre- conscious pre-goop. uncoupling. It's the first time anyone's ever said that. <laughs> this phrase. is pre goop. Pre, if you want to hear like uh, something never, nobody's ever said, this is pre vagina candle. <laughs> Gwyneth Paltrow. This is when she had some uh, goodwill behind her. But yeah. I think Fincher had seen her in um, uh, some movie recently and then like she didn't want to do it. And she had Brad Pitt convince her like, you got to audition for this. Like, is that the diner scene in that diner scene? Is that where she spills the beans that she's pregnant and Brad Pitt doesn't know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, uh, it's a great scene. It's like a really like, you know, um, a powerful scene on both sides. Cause you also find out that Morgan Freeman's character, like had never been married, but they, you know, he got uh, somebody pregnant that he loved. And then he was just like, don't bring a child in this world. But I regret it every day that I didn't. So there you go. And if you do have a kid, spoil it every day. (laughs) Dark scene though, man. One thing, um, like one giveaway that this movie doesn't take place in New York is that, uh, every time you see an apartment, it's way too big. It's huge. Huge apartments. Stop thinking about the size of apartments and movies. These apartments are massive. There's a point where, uh, the, the sloth victim who is a, uh, a drug dealing pedophile, you see his like uh it's like flop house apartment 12 room yeah it's apartment. like a five it's, bedroom <laughs> and it's in like it's in a uh like government housing sort of building yeah, yeah. like it's wild it's like oh yeah i wouldn't want to live there but i mean it's a fixer upper maybe i would <laughs> if you get that fucking dead guy out of there imagine getting the would. tour of that uh apartment <laughs> like wow it's huge it's like it's really it's a great deal there's a guy in the corner that's like oh. That's like the scene where uh, it's a setup where um, John Doe has used um, this the the sloth victim's fingers, uh, decapitated fingers. It's the clue to find him. Yeah, says help me behind the upside down painting. So they go there expecting to find the murderer, and uh, they bust in as John C. McGinley and like a SWAT crew, and they blow through, and they're like going from room to room. But it's like a lot of those like weird, uh, 
those like, like long fluorescent lights oh uh, yeah that i have seen in an apartment zero times in my life <laughs> yeah yeah maybe like, like an art studio or something like office <laughs> building lights yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. but uh, i would live there i forgot that it was five uh, bedrooms <laughs> i mean it's got so many like you know the little like air fresheners hanging it's cute yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> smells great <laughs> gross it's cute man uh i forgot that it was john c mcginley that goes up to this lost guy and it's like you got what you deserve you got what you deserve I remember that stuck with me as a kid <laughs> like, oh, they, for they sure they that he's dead and he's a murderer and then he goes <gasps> yeah <laughs> God. bob from office space yeah. <laughs> one of the bobs one of the bobs would you say it is Oh, you thank do you. here. Thank you, for, thank you for saying that, Caleb. <laughs> One of the bots. Go back and listen to our Office Space episode. I yeah. thought that was a really good episode. That was a great episode. That was uh, remote. One of our few remote episodes. Oh, we're back to Yeah, now. we did a bunch of remote episodes. That's true. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you guys want to hear track nine? Please. Let's do it. This is Thelonious Monk with Straight No Chaser. First time hearing from uh, Thelonious Monk on a track listing. Yeah. And uh, another uh, jazz musician thrown at us in music school. You know, teachers giving us, you know, copies of the CD. Check this out. This is really great. I was always really thrown off at first. Not so much in this song, but by the, like the percussive dissonance of his playing. Kind of just sounded like a cat running across a piano to me at first. <laughs> and, the notes uh, he's not playing. He's like, man. oh man, yes. Thelonious Monk, this jazz daredevil. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> we've talked about actor John Benjamin uh, in yeah, a yeah. previous episode about his, uh, you know, forays into jazz. And, you know, the, I don't know, that's where it gets a little blurry for me. Yeah. Between, you know, what's considered uh, good jazz or not. Noise jazz. Yeah, it's like that, that line between some of Thelonious Monk and John Benjamin's uh, jazz daredevil work. <laughs> yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's like it gets a little blurry there. I've been uh, it, recently. I've been talking to a lot of uh, of people, uh, friends of mine in the art world. Um, this this like professor I had in grad school, who was like a pretty well regarded abstract expressionist. He was represented by this gallery in Manhattan that. Later, it was owned by uh, Army Hammer's father, and it Armand Hammer. Armand Hammer, and it became uh, a big scandal. <laughs> it turned out that they were selling a bunch of uh, counterfeit paintings. Yeah, there's a documentary these, about it. Yeah, yeah, all these Abex painters, uh, these knockoffs, and they were like, you know, pawning them off as a big, a big problem. But uh, I, I wish we lived in a world where there were experts trying to discern whether a jazz composition was a real Thelonious Monk. <laughs> And it's just somebody fucking like it's John slam, Benjamin, man. Just slam in the piano and be like, Dude, "Okay, I mean, well, well, that part is very typical." That's a of monk. Yeah, that's, a, that's a monk trope right there. In Measure Forty Two, Measure Forty Five, we're not so sure about. Yeah. Oh man, yeah, I don't. I mean, you know, Thelonious is great, but uh, you know, there's just some of it that's a little bit cobbledygook. We should say that this is one of his like uh, most well-known compositions. Yeah, and th- you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. this is in the you know American jazz songbook, yeah, Straight yeah. No Chaser. Yeah, I think in the film, this this is the one that I was thinking of that this was at, at the, the dinner, dinner party. party. Yeah, yeah. This is the one where 
I can't stop thinking about the subway because yeah. I haven't lived near to a subway, but I've I've been in apartments near to a subway, and it's never that comically like loud and loud shakes and everything you've got. Yeah, but that is kind of like a. I mean, this whole thing is kind of as an adult. The thing that I missed as a child is how nightmarish the city is, mm-hmm. <laughs> because mm-hmm. it's like a it's like a kind of slightly cartoonish, but not completely cartoonish version of like essentially New York City. Yeah. And uh, where like every every wall's paint is flaking, and like uh, <laughs> it's just like decaying. Yeah, everything. Yeah, is everybody falling on apart. the street is like a like a junkie. <laughs> but the idea of like having people over for dinner and you can't stop your records from skipping drives me mad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, guest on the pod, Carolyn Page, apparently was duped into like a subway apartment, and it was same same situation. Like she was there ten minutes, it's great no subway had come by and then the first night she was there she was like under the f or something i think i remember when she was she moved within like two weeks she broke her lease and was like i can't this is like is bad for my health like i'm not gonna be able to sleep through a night like this is no terrible terrible situation the thing about new york city is that most subways are subways and there's like very few lines like the jmz goes up like elevated into brooklyn Mm mm-hmm and so you can live pretty near to an underground train and not have it be a disturbance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In LA, I don't think there are subways. I think there's there's some train. I think there are, but no one takes them. Yeah. Is that the deal? Is <laughs> that like Houston? There's like the light rail? Yeah. 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 Fort Worth, Texas, we have one bus system. Yeah. <laughs> I like that you say bus system. <laughs> we have one bus system. Nobody takes it. <laughs> system of buses. Yeah, yeah, there are. There's like different lines and different. Yeah, the Seattle. What a, what a quaint little town. <laughs> the Seattle thing was the the subway or no the, the monorail. I'm sorry, the monorail that never got extended past like a uh, like a very short line. So it's like this weird kind of tourist thing. Yeah, <laughs> just goes from like this the science center to like downtown or something. More from the civic planning podcast. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You guys should listen to our singles episode. (laughs) I'm looking at a list of actors here who were considered for some of these roles. Mm. Um, Looking at Al Pacino was considered for Detective Somerset. I believe that. But he decided to do the movie City Hall instead. Good hmm. choice. And uh, <laughs> Denzel and Sylvester Stallone both turned down the role of Mills. Yeah, that wouldn't have made Pitt. any sense, but I, I think it would speak to more of what Caleb was saying, that they were like kind of equals in a sense. It's the I same job. Denzel but. would have been great. Like, uh, Obviously, Stallone would have been terrible in any role. Robert Duvall and Gene Hackman also turned down the role of Detective Somerset. Whoa. Ooh, Hackman. Hackman would have been uh, good. Christina Applegate turned down the role of Tracy. Bad move on Christina. She disappeared for a while. And uh, Val Kilmer and Michael Stipe turned down uh, John Doe. Val Kilmer was going to be John Doe? Thought about it. Whoa. I'd heard Offered. Ma- I had heard Michael Stipe. Um, yeah. And then who ended up... What, what was the guy's name that ended up playing uh, John Doe? Kevin Uncredited. S- uh, Kevin, Kevin, uncredited. <laughs> Kevin Dis- Spacci? Disgraced actor. <laughs> Kevin Spacey. Kevin Spacey. I like that... Uh, I feel yeah. like Michael Stipe got the call after the production design people had written. They've like spent the time doing the police sketches. Yeah. <laughs> they did the police sketches <laughs> They're first. like, well, we've already done the police sketches, so he kind of has to look like uh, this like skinny Lego man. <laughs> Kevin Spacey uh, booked the role two days before filming, which is wild. Which is oh, wild wow. to me. Yeah, this yeah. was 
Spacey's big year. Yeah. So he technically won because he the just Oscar. came off a Usual Suspects. Is that right? Yeah. No, same year he won. Same he year. won the Oscar for Usual Suspects, but it was the same year this came out. So it was like one of those. I mean, it was a supporting actor. Yeah. But this was one of those things where it, it was obvious that he won it as a combination of like both roles, kind of thing, because mm-hmm. he wasn't nominated like in competition to himself. He's great. You know, a lot of times people actors as people turn out to be uh real problematic fellows and you have to like go back and watch old movies and like deal with like negative associations the nice thing about spacey is that all of his characters are super disturbing uh, yeah. <laughs> i yeah. can watch this and be like yeah man <laughs> <laughs> huge piece of shit yeah i yeah. saw k-pax recently i was like jesus <laughs> yeah yeah you don't you can't go k-pax <laughs> can't go k-pax <laughs> Uh, but I'm an alien. <laughs> I don't know the rules here. Come on. But dude, it does not take away from the ambiance of seven. No, no, not oh, at all. Yeah. And in fact, it enhances it. <laughs> Should we jump into track number 10? Yeah, How are you guys yeah. feeling? Feel great. This is track 10. This is Howard Shore with Portrait of John Doe. Our first time hearing from a beloved film composer, Howard Shore, who uh, composed such uh, great pieces of music, such as the intro and outro music to Saturday Night Live. Oh, oh shit. Um, that's on my playlist. <laughs> what? Who, who said? Well, number one, who sits down and listens to Howard Shore? Who sits down and listens to the SNL intro and outro music? I was okay. I thought, I thought it was the Hall and Oates guy, the the guitarist for Hall and Oates. John Oates, Daryl Hall. <laughs> one of the guys from Hall and Oates. It's is only in those the SNL. <laughs> no, there's a, they have a whole band. Oh, the the sax guy. Uh, <laughs> I, I think know. about. What's it, happening? There's a thing that I've been thinking about that, that struck me as I was listening to uh, this song. And this, we get a lot of score kind of peppered throughout the soundtracks that we review on this podcast. And I know, I know, I see a lot of people who like to collect score, which is something that uh, is not is not what I like to do, and I don't really relate to it. But um, I think what spurred this, I was listening to this song, and I was like, if you were Howard Shore. And you were like, oh, I did this score, which is like very present in this film. Yeah. It's like all over the film. Like, which uh, they did release an album version of the yeah, score yeah. like way later. That's, that's, many, very, many that's, years that's later. pretty common. Yeah. Um, but you're like, you're hired to do a thing. You do the thing. You, you like do a, this is a good job. Like it's, it's like the right music for this movie. And then like, <laughs> if you, if you saw the soundtrack and like, uh, like Bach is also on the soundtrack, <laughs> you'd be like, oh, fuck <laughs> Oh yeah, the competition is strong. And then it made me it made me think about kind of uh, classical music as like a corollary to like the art world to like visual art, and that you have an art form that used to be like very dominant in culture, and then it's suddenly like shrunken down um, to the the point that like the most of uh, the, the population of you know our society does not give a shit about classical music, contemporary classical music. It's like not a thing. So it's like become stratified where there's some like very avant-garde, like inaccessible classical music that's still happening. 
And then there's yeah, a very, small pool of contemporary yeah, composers. Kind of like, yeah. uh, you know, Philip Glass into whatever, like the... John Zorn's 80 albums. There we go. There we go. Yeah. And then you have like a very utilitarian like pop, which is like film score. And it's something that serves a purpose and is not really like an artistic expression in like the classical sense. And, uh, you know, it's <laughs> when you think about like, you know, the Boston pops or something, they're doing like a big, like Beethoven. And then the next day it's like John Williams. And it's like, it's like, uh, these are not the same thing. And like, yeah, uh, then it's Michael Buble, like the next yeah, day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's like this weird, there's this weird void in the middle of like, what should be, like a broad range of like artistic enjoyment of like an art, like a creative art form that just doesn't exist. And now you just have like this, this outer edge of like the real weird shit that nobody except for the most like kind of niche consumer is interested in. And then there's like a very, you know, it kind of reminds me of like, uh, well, it's like compositions for composers or like guitar music for guitarists. Kind well, of it's, thing. it's like a, it's kind of like graphic design. It's like you're you're making a specific thing to serve a purpose, and some people are obsessed with it, but but not really as like it's they're not they, they don't care about it as its own thing. It's only the association to what you're the the ser- like the purpose that it's serving, and it's like a you know the idea of like John Williams having like a, a retrospective is kind of reminds me of like in Demolition Man when they're nostalgic for like the nineties and they're playing like uh, commercial jingles they on the radio jingles. There's like an oldie station <laughs> and it's like, uh, no, you're, you're not supposed to enjoy that thing. That thing only serves a purpose. It's wait, what? <laughs> yeah. What are you doing, man? Yeah. I don't know. There was a, um, there's a great clip on YouTube, uh, of like, or it's just a scene from Lord of the Rings when they light the, um, like the fires. Yeah, it's yeah. that one part where it's like, yeah, we have to light the fire so we like can warn everybody. Um, and then uh, you know, it's like uh, somebody in the comment section wrote like Peter Jackson, uh, "Hey Howard, can you just like do like a little score for uh, when I light the fires?" And it's like Howard Shore, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I got something." <laughs> it's like the most like <laughs> epic thing ever, and you're like, it didn't need to be that epic. It was just like, it's great. Oh. <laughs> Gentlemen, we have some breaking news. Tom Morello enlist Eddie Vedder and Bruce Springsteen for a cover of the ACDC song Highway to Hell. Tom Morello revealed some new information today. His band Atlas Underground is coming out with a new album that will also feature Chris Stapleton and Damian Marley, amongst others. But uh, there is a cover of Highway to Hell by Tom Morello, Eddie Vedder, and Bruce Springsteen. So let's hear a little bit of that. Oh, really? Oh, no. <laughs> Quote Tom Morello here. Our version of Highway to Hell pays homage to ACDC, but with Bruce Springsteen and Eddie Vedder, brings this legendary song into the future. (laughs) 
one of the greatest rock and roll songs of all time, sung by two of the greatest rock and roll singers of all time, and then I drop a shredding guitar solo. Thank you and good night, Morello said of the uh, cover. I mean, you don't even really hear Eddie Vedder. I I listened to the whole track. Uh, Please don't. And... uh, you know, sorry, Springsteen singing the verses, and then you can kind of hear, you know, Eddie Vedder in the background, maybe on the choruses. But uh, like Bruce Springsteen's like singing weird notes. Anyway, I don't understand uh, why. And then yeah, I got I got a bone of contention, and then a and then a sparse uh, thought. The, the album for which Morello recorded guitar parts on his phone was made remotely. Uh, Morello said during lockdown, I had no access to an engineer. So I had to record all of the guitar parts on a voice memo on my phone. This seemed like an outrageous idea, but it led to a freedom and creativity and that I could not overthink any of the guitar parts and had to trust my instincts. I mean, something about that strikes me as being very absurd because Tom Morello has been making albums for many, many years. And but like you take Tom Morello out of a studio and he's like, How do I get this part down? I guess I got to use my phone. (laughs) Like, especially during the pandemic where like most musicians that weren't, maybe weren't equipped to like, you know, record at home or something like that. That's what the pandemic was for, for a lot of musicians was, you know, figuring out how to, Tom, what are you doing, man? (laughs) I only have my phone. He's sending in like voice memos for somebody to mix. And, you know, he he finished with saying that um, this record was a uh, life draft in a difficult time that allowed me to find new ways of creating new global artistic connections. Highway to hell? We're still talking about Highway to hell? (laughs) That helped transform a time of fear and anxiety into one of musical expression and rocking jams. Mm. I mean... Man, oh man. I mean, Tom. What are you doing, Tom? Well, it's it's also, he said, like this classic rock song. Most of the people collaborating on it had music that came out before it. Yeah, they're talking about... um, Like what? The idea of like uh, trying to reimagine something like thrusting into the future. It's like you take a, a song from, the, you know, late 70s and you have a vocalist who rose to prominence in the late 70s. <laughs> It's not the future. It's yeah, yeah. The, they're looking backwards. Now, you know, the contemporaries, maybe. And like, uh, there is a disturbing trend, I think, in music in general. Uh, mostly, I, I blame it on Weezer, and it's um, bands <laughs> just covering a lot of things other songs. Bands faith. covering other other songs, but not there. Like when I grew up, there was covers that were like interpretations, and I guess it was harder for like a. A song to kind of pop so and because like when you do a cover you owe so much of the rights to like the songwriters that i think it doesn't make much business sense unless it really does a lot of business but for whatever reason now maybe it's just kind of like a like a low effort like payoff thing and i just see like you know van weezer or you know weezer does like a covers album and they just do they sound like a covers band they're not like reinterpreting there's like a yeah, Weezer doing like Africa. Yeah, like recently. Which sounds like Africa. It's like Africa. It doesn't sound that it much different. It doesn't sound different. Yeah, yeah, They're yeah. just doing it. And like, uh, you know, the Foo Fighters did that, uh, the Bee Gees cover album. Yeah. Under the album, they were the, the DGs. The DGs. Uh, Hail, uh, Hail yeah. Satin. I'm Stinky. like, oh, yeah, it's like, that's, that's a funny idea. But they're like literally just trying to do it. Yeah. They're not, they don't sound like the Foo Fighters at all. It just sounds like a dingier Bee Gees. Yeah. And like, why? And the reason why is because they don't spend much time on it. They just try to do it in the studio. And it's like, 
Well, they also get to like a, a a certain level of prominence. I think this is the case with like people like John Mayer and Weezer and Dave Grohl and the Foo Fighters, where no one you're in the studio with them, and like you can't be you can't chime in and say, "Hey, man, like I don't think that's a good idea," because you'll get reprimanded for that. But that's the but thing like, is no one's telling them no. Yeah. It's not even like uh, the risk is so low because it's like we're like, oh, we're gonna do it under a joke name, and we're doing it. And if somebody's like, I don't think that's good. You're like, oh, well, it was a joke anyway. It's like, what the fuck do you want? It's like a money grab. <laughs> or I mean, maybe it's something that maybe it's uh, I don't I don't I don't know why it's happening. It's like kids at a talent show. That's that same mentality. <laughs> like, well, we weren't trying to be good. Fuck you. I don't yeah. care. Yeah. Easy way. Well, the Alice Underground Fire album is out on October 15th. Oh, Pre-order no. it now or don't. Uh, your choice. Uh, those are I should say those are all people that I like. On their own. I like Bruce Springsteen. I like Tom Morello. Yeah. I like ACDC. Eddie Vedder. You don't like Eddie Vedder? What did I, did I not say Eddie Vedder? Eddie Vedder. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I like Eddie Vedder. Uh, <laughs> but like, do you know, Eddie Vedder has made interesting covers of like old songs, but this is Didn't just he do like a, a Don McLean song back in the day. No, he did that. Where, oh, where is my baby be? Uh, like, I, I don't remember oh, yeah. who the original was. That was like an old, like, uh, oh, where, oh, where? And it was a great cover. I thought it was a great cover. Just interpret it a little bit. Or find a song that that people don't know. Yeah. That's like the great that's like the great easy thing to do. You find like a weird unknown song and then you just kind of do it faithfully and everybody thinks it's yours and you're like, I don't know. <laughs> Thank you to the uh, excellent reporting from Spin Magazine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Great reporting. Thank you, Nick. Yeah, great yeah. reporting. You guys want to jump into, uh, oh, this is the last track, track 11. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's this do is it. Howard Shore with Sweet from Seven. more score i think that the uh we got two shores in a row on this one i think the play time on this track is like 15 minutes long oh really <laughs> we lucked out in that it was uh this is technically one track so we can just uh, play that amount of it oh my goodness that's a, a lot it's a long boy yeah yeah it's uh yeah <laughs> i think it's maybe uh hopefully the the people in 1995 who purchased this soundtrack were really hoping to dig into like this fucking like dark discordant they can like relive these fucking fincher nightmares in their own bedroom <laughs> should we get in should we get into the ending to the film at yeah this point? we could I, I did have one point on on this song and listeners write in if i'm incorrect here but um this was an homage to cape fear uh there's a very similar score in this one like when caddy is like you know coming out of the water or something like that but that like bah, bah, Oh, is okay. um is it was intentionally like a, like a stolen motif or like a homage motif mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but in the the second cape fear went there too i believe so yeah, yeah. the de niro so. one yes 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 yeah i mean this the score in the film functions great to instill like a sense of uh tragedy and dread <laughs> and it's like that's like a thing that i don't i don't people like to listen to score and i i see a lot of people who love to collect like score from movies. And I mm-hmm. think uh, a lot of it has to do with people that love movies. 
and I wonder if they enjoy like listening to this like uh, <laughs> intentionally dreadful score. <laughs> well, know? I mean, I don't know. Maybe while you're studying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah this kind of like reminds me of like a precursor to inception and like that uh han zimmer like i mean i think it's weird for it to be included on the on this soundtrack you know like it's fine for it to be on the you know the score soundtrack that's released separately but you know these two short tracks could have been replaced by uh, the Bowie song that plays over the credits that's not on the soundtrack yeah. and the Nine Inch Nails closer that plays over the intro Again, that's not on the soundtrack. Nikki, this track is like 15 minutes long. That's you, cr- you take this one off and you can put a whole... It's a double disc. Six other it's songs. Just, <laughs> it's just sure for I, disc two. I think ideally that's the case. I think this is a look, let's get everybody paid sort of thing because people aren't less people are going to buy this the score soundtrack but it's like Howard Shore, who did the score, should get some money from the soundtrack to the film. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's why most of the time the score is included. But it's a good point. Anyhow. Yeah. I mean, all, all credit due, like the, the film is dominated by score. So I can't complain that the soundtrack has a couple score tracks at the end. Um, but yeah, it's not like, uh, it's not fun listening. It makes you remember all these like horrific murders. <laughs> so uh, I mean, who's picking up the seven soundtrack anyway to no, be man. like, this ought to be fun. It's yeah, very confusing. Oh, yeah. This looks fun. All right, let's talk about the box. I mean, I was, you know, I had never, I don't think in the DVD that I had in the special features, I don't think there was a alternate ending cut. And I, I still haven't seen one. I've only read about the original uh, ending that they tested with audiences, which if you haven't seen the movie, uh, spoiler alert, <laughs> um, but, uh, Brad Pitt's character does shoot, uh, John Doe. Mm-hmm. And after he shoots him, uh, it was a cut to black. Yeah. yeah. Uh, for about 10 seconds before the lights would come up in the theater. And, and at, uh, some test screenings, I think with like NRG, <laughs> there was, I guess David Fincher was maybe there with Brad Pitt or something behind the glass. And <laughs> there was this group of three women, that uh, Fincher described as looking like uh, like first grade teachers that were there together, <laughs> and their comment was that uh, whoever made that movie should be killed. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, learning from John Doe, I see. Like, oh my goodness! I like I read that fun fact. Fun fact. And uh, the one thing, so I was like, I read it before I rewatched it, and I was yeah. like, oh yeah, like if it had just ended, like that would have been pretty crazy. And then I rewatched it. And that's essentially like there's like a little bit of Morgan Freeman kind of insinuating that, man, maybe I won't retire. But he doesn't really say that he won't retire. Yeah, yeah. he's like, I'm, uh, what's worth fighting for? It's the, but the it's, world is worth fighting for. Yeah. But it, it's maybe like a minute of him like kind of like talking it, it, to his sergeant and then it ends. And I think <laughs> it's not that, much more. <laughs> I think that was the compromise because yeah, I think yeah, the yeah, studios yeah. all want it. There, there's a couple of alternate endings. I don't think any of them were shot except for this one. And it was like this little addendum. We're like, give us a little bit of hope at the end. And it, yeah, they add like an, a minute end. But the, the thing that I mm-hmm. had read uh, concerning like alternate endings was that the original script ended with, um, a head in a box. And uh, that was, 
I think predictably like seen by a lot of movie studios is like maybe a little bit of a fucking downer. And uh, yeah, they everyone fought for that ending. Brad Pitt. And well, that w- the funny thing is that there were there were versions of the script after that with like a more kind of action driven ending. Uh, I don't yeah. know. I don't know how it actually ended. I do. But uh, spill okay, the beans. So, spill the beans. But that's Chris. the thing is that I think supposedly mistakenly Fincher was sent an old draft of the script. And then that was also the script that, that Brad Pitt agreed to. So all the all the talent that people were interested in having agreed to the head in the box, like mainly because of that. Maybe it was like a premonition of like uh, Gwyneth Paltrow being insufferable. And they're like, yes, <laughs> love it. Uh, <laughs> oh no! <laughs> but uh, and so then it became this like push and pull where everybody's like, no, the whole reason we're doing this is because of the the ending. Uh, but I don't know what the the other endings were. Chris, could you fill us in? Uh, one of the endings, which might have been shot, but I'd, I've never seen it, um, was because uh, it's it's similar enough. Uh, Somerset is like fighting with Mills, and he's like, "You can't do this, you can't do this," and then he pulls out the switchblade, and he like thwarts him with the switchblade, and then in doing so, uh, Brad Pitt shoots um, uh, Morgan Freeman and wounds him, and then he kills Doe. And then you see uh, Morgan Freeman recuperating in the hospital, and he gets a note from Brad Pitt saying, you were right about everything. And there's like flowers and stuff like that. But that made a lot of sense to me because there was a lot of Chekhov's yeah, gun with Morgan Freeman in the switchblade. <laughs> switch he's throwing at the dartboard. And you're like, oh, this, this guy's going like the switchblade. And he's like, times. I got one, and just so it, you know. He just uses yeah, it to yeah. open the box like a fucking box cutter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then uh, there's another one that was like... I could have just been a guitar pick. But I was like, I like to play the guitar. Who doesn't? You want to hear a gun? Yeah. Yeah. I was an <laughs> improv, Freeman. I was racking my brain like, wait, does the Switchblade come into play? Because they keep showing it and they just it never does. It doesn't matter. Um, and then um, there was another like very Hollywood ending that I read about. And I think there might have been one or two more, but this is the other one that was documented in that John Doe captures Mills uh, and then like brings him to a church and there's like they find out that John Doe had been raised by like an abusive priest or something and that's why they take him to this church and uh, uh, Mills is like crucified basically with like a cross like burned into him this, <laughs> and this so one bad. was like so bad yeah <laughs> whoa, so bad. Whoa, and then whoa, it whoa. turns out like Somerset uh, maybe get stuck in the church with John Doe as it burns down and Mills, Mills escapes because like he's the younger guy, but he's going to carry on Somerset's deal. So it's like that one would have fucking totally. So that one, oh, yeah. would, there, there's one where the there's one where Somerset shoots Doe, mm-hmm. which like didn't make total sense. Oh yeah. He, he, he like took the bullet for him. And yeah. Was that like, makes a little bit of, I'll, I'll do it. I uh, think that ac- yeah. actually that kind of makes sense. Wins. Yeah. And there are, and then he doesn't win because I've done it. Right, yeah. ultimate sacrifice. If you're talking about, yeah, yeah. that's the. Uh, that's right. I've do you want to do your that. Somerset impression? Sure. The <laughs> at the end, John Doe's got the upper hand. <laughs> Everybody does the Brad Pitt impression. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's in the box? No. John Doe has the upper hand. <laughs> He's got the upper hand. It's like, I, I dude, I was thinking like the police guy John McGinley is up in the helicopter, just yeah. like. Let's wait it out. Let's keep. <laughs> right, let's see how this plays out. Like there is so much. Like there was no like. We gotta land like right now. We gotta like you know stop this. But they're like hearing all this stuff. They're like, not yet. Not yet. Yeah, not. <laughs> all right. So uh, for maybe for 
The very few listeners who haven't watched this movie, the at the <laughs> or end, or for the very few listeners that are still with us, <laughs> a box shows up and uh, it's it's heavily implied, although so you, you never see it. It's uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's head is in the box. As as a kid, as a super disturbed young man watching this movie, even I was like Barton Fink because that was like the ending of Barton Fink. Yeah, yeah. Head in the box. Head in the box where he's like. Ah. Like, whose box is that? I don't know. <laughs> oh, we should say, sorry, Caleb. Uh, one of the endings was that uh, instead of Gwyneth Paltrow's head, it was uh, one of Brad Pitt's dog's heads, which the studio suggested, which yeah. they laughed at. They're like, <laughs> what if it was we a dog? Will, Honestly, we will that walk prob- away from this project. <laughs> that probably would have pissed people off more. And then he <laughs> still shoots John <laughs> Doe. Like, what the fuck is going on in this? Sorry, Caleb. The whole time, he's just like, what's in the box? And like... Morgan Freeman won't tell him. Then he shoots John Doe and he's like, I miss my wife so much. He's like, no, no, it was a dog's head. He's like, why didn't you say, didn't you say something? Oh my God. <laughs> if it was a dog's shit. head, I wouldn't have shot him. I'm, go- oh, I'm going to prison now. I'm going to prison. <laughs> or an asylum. I don't know. Sorry, Kim. No, no, no. I, uh, yeah, yeah. The head in the box. I was getting strong Barton Fink vibes from that. It's also the moment where Brad Pitt's character realizes that his wife is pregnant and he didn't know about it, which oh. John Doe kind of, uh, you know, delightfully snickers at. Oh he didn't God. know. That's so no, tough. man. It's so. <laughs> I can't, I can't so do spicy, fucked. but it's it doesn't so, matter anymore. It's so rough. <laughs> it's the roughest. It's so fucked. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great ending. It's a classic ending. The only way it would have been better if there was a dog in there. Yeah, that's true. I just love Agreed. that studio. Like, but if it was uh, one of your dogs, <laughs> although <laughs> yeah. how about anything you, but Gwyneth? You talked about like the Chekhov's uh, switchblade. Yeah, <laughs> there is like a thing with the dogs where you never see them again, even though they're like in the apartment. Yeah. It's like uh, it's for that one joke about the kids. Yeah, yeah. I will say this movie has 183 trivia points on imdb oh my goodness and the goofs whoever wrote the goofs uh portion of the imdb and the x-ray was relentless it was like <laughs> tiny tiny continuity errors that somebody sat there and watched with like laser eye. it might have been fincher himself <laughs> yeah i think that there's like a little bit of a cult of like uh overly invested uh white film guys that yeah. are like really locked on to fincher in a way that they don't even like get that way with Tarantino because Tarantino has like a much more like fast and loose, like nothing has to like really line up, bro. Yeah. It's a movie where Fincher's like, so this pencil, I looked into it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. These are like wine is at different (laughs) levels. Uh, the janitor scrapes off uh, a a letter too many in this one. It goes back and there's a letter. Fincher's trolling himself on IMDb. (laughs) Gentlemen, that is the soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. To seven. Thank you, Kevin Spacey. Uh, thank you, Gwyneth Paltrow. Thank you. <laughs> Pretty great soundtrack, I would say. Pretty good. Well, um, great out. film, great soundtrack. We've, as we often do, we forgot to decide beforehand what heads our and units. boxes. Heads oh, yeah. and boxes. Are we doing is heads there, and boxes? Is there like a deeper Deadly cut sins. that we could roll with? You guys watch the movie to prepare. I guess uh, out of 15 heads and boxes. <laughs> or uh, Wild Bill's leather apparatuses. <laughs> oh, no, I'm just kidding. That's uh, too yeah. Yeah. So yeah. much. Oh, no, it's horrifying. Um, <laughs> All right, Chrissy, out of 15 heads in the boxes. Favorite track, least favorite track, zero to 15 heads in the box. Okay, favorite track. Um, I'm going to have to say Charlie Parker, Now's the Time, uh, is probably my favorite track on here. I think right. 
Um, out of all his jazz, it's maybe the most accessible, I would say. It doesn't get too too crazy, but... Yeah, very palatable. Very, Parker. very palatable Palatable jazz. Parker? What the, <laughs> palatable Parker. Uh, great for the microphone. Um, <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of, like, you know, all the jazz I've listened to, and I'm like, I'm like, oh, their number one song is great. And then I get, like, three in, and I'm like... Ah, <laughs> I'm just backing out slowly. Um, and I'd say least favorite song might be um the gravity kills guilty i just don't i never really cared for that industrial mm. sort of rock um i mean i can't say bach either way i mean that's you, you can know. say whatever you want i can't no i can't i can't bring bach into that um no nah, gravity kills sorry not never Ooh. my bag I, I never even liked the nine inch nails that much and i feel okay. like this is the worst version of the nine inch nails yeah knock off you're not wrong yeah. Um, I would say this is a pretty good soundtrack. It's a vibe for sure, which you know, you, to, to listen to anything <laughs> and have it remind you of the movie is kind of like a dist- like why would you want to put yourself back in that place? <laughs> I think that's why maybe the Gravity Kills song is like uh, your least favorite because that's the one that like really for me lodges in with a really disturbing. Yeah, it's it's over the you know anyway. uh, <laughs> fingerprints getting cut off constantly. Oh um, my god. I would say, you know, despite that, it's there's great songs on here, and it's introduction to some good jazz. I'm going to say 11.2, uh, Heads in a Box. All right. Thank you, Chris. All right. Caleb, what do you got for us? Favorite track, least favorite track? Favorite track, least favorite track. You know, it would be easy to pick one of the score tracks as least favorite track, so I'm going to do it. Uh, probably Portrait of John Doe, I would say, my least favorite track. Uh, mostly because uh, it's followed by uh, like a 15 minute suite, which is like essentially the same thing. So, you know, it gets worse if you're going to do like the score is perfect for the film. Uh, but we don't need two tracks if one of them is like fucking 15 minutes of score. Uh, my favorite track is actually trouble man by Marvin Gaye. Oh yeah. That's such a jam. And it's right in my like, uh, beloved sweet spot for Marvin Gaye who was a great artist and uh, I miss him heads in boxes. <laughs> I was, you know, classic scale. <laughs> one of uh, the reasons I picked this, cause I was pleasantly surprised to see how diverse and uh, listenable the soundtrack would be kind of surprisingly. So I got to give it 10.5 blonde heads in brown boxes. Perfect little right. heads. Perfect little head. <laughs> I've been envy that head. All right. <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> Nikki, how do These you feel impressions. about this? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, favorite track is uh, a toss-up for me between Marvin Gaye, Trouble Man, and Haircut 100. Love plus one. Mm. So since Caleb, you picked Trouble Man, I'm going to pick Haircut 100. Love plus one. Yeah, that's for great. favorite track. Uh, go back and listen to Haircut 100's like one or two albums. Amazing. Great stuff. Great stuff. Very influential. Uh, least favorite track, also a toss-up for me between Sweet from Seven and uh, Gravity Kills Guilty. And Chris, you said Guilty, so I'm going to go with uh, Sweet from Seven for okay. least favorite track. It's uh, unbearable. <laughs> 100. Right. Just unbearable. Oh, come on. <laughs> um, zero to 15 heads and boxes. Um, Got to say, the soundtrack, uh, you know, Statler Brothers, Marvin Gaye, Gloria Lynn, our good old buddy uh, J.S. Bach, 
Billy Holiday, Charlie Parker. There's some good stuff on here, guys. I'm going to have to give this a, a pretty high rating. Uh, great soundtrack, great film. I'm going to come in at a 13.0 heads in a box. Ooh, okay. That's pretty we're close. Where we're, we're going to put all these boxes. So many boxes, guys. <laughs> yeah, man. All right. All right. Before we go, the last thing we have to do is add a song to the Tracklist in Spotify playlist. In honor of seven, one of our seven deadly sins has to inspire one of our recommendations. I can go first, if you guys don't mind. Sure. Take it away. Um, so the sin that I picked, um, it, it is a wrathful song. Um, although, I think in the context of this film, I think one of the reasons why I like this song so much is that the lyrics are super wrathful, but the uh, the song is very twee. This is a song from 1989. It kind of, uh, the band is called Another Sunny Day, it's a, a guy who, he went on to be part of the Field Mice, which is also like a similarly uh, obscure kind of jangle pop band. They exist, I would say, kind of like connective tissue between the Smiths and uh, Bell and Sebastian, which is two bands that uh, I like quite a bit. And I think um, I spend a lot of time listening to kind of unsuccessful bands that existed in those uh, maybe like eight years in between those two bands. And the song is called you should all be murdered. <laughs> Dear God. Here we go. Yeah, I mean, this is like... That, that's uh, not Morrissey? It's not Morrissey, which is one of the things I love about it. Okay, great. Um, it's a song that I love, and it's a song that's definitely tongue-in-cheek. Uh, but, you know, if it was sang in a different style, say, uh, you know, Bruce Springsteen covered it in a very uh, industrial like, vein. Maybe with Tom Morello? Yeah, maybe with Tom Morello. <laughs> Hard example. Then it, would, it would probably be laying out the, like, kind of the feelings of John Doe, where it's just kind of like a laundry list of people that... He wishes was murdered. Like people he doesn't like, people are too lazy, people that are mean to him. <laughs> it's, it's essentially uh, it's a manifesto, but it's like set to such a uh, twee, beautiful jangle pop music that uh, I listen to it a lot while I drive. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Do you remember in the movie when Morgan Freeman's reading out of one of his notebooks, and it's like. You know, uh, I met a man on the bus today who was clearly very lonely and he tried to talk to me and the banality of it revolted me yeah. until I vomited all over him. And you're like, oh, it's like, I didn't even realize I was vomiting on him until <laughs> he was screaming at me for vomiting. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. oh God. <laughs> Terrifying. That ever happened to you guys? Did that ever happen to you guys on the bus? <laughs> yeah, man, I've been on the subway. <laughs> All right, that's uh, that's from the mind of uh, Andrew Kevin Walker. Yeah. That screenplay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He, I hope he found I guess that working at Tower Records in the <laughs> early '90s in New York City was a real, real drag. Real drag. <laughs> Drove him to the brink. But he, he did say he was like, if I if I hadn't have lived in New York City, I wouldn't have written that screenplay. Oh yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. It's it's a damning. It's a, uh, that's a very LA thing to say. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. All right. Come all right. On. Well, that was my song of wrath. Who would yeah. like to go next? All right, Chris, you got a uh, song pulled up for us? Yes, I do. I've got a song by Culture Beat called Mr. Vane. Um, and some of you might be familiar with this song. Uh, maybe in your 90s PE class or something. Or if you were really into the um, the house techno scene uh, in the early 90s. So let's uh, let's give it a listen. I'll talk about it a bit. I uh, okay. I had uh, I think that had this on Kasingle uh, when I was a kid, and this is very much in like the Hadaway like yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of like uh, uh, descendants of like high energy uh, disco. And even as a kid, I was like, uh, "That's not what vanity is." <laughs> it's like I want I want what I want, and I want it now because I'm Mr. Vane. Call me Mr. Vane. <laughs> like, no, like, that's, no, that's sounds a lot more like greed. <laughs> I feel like, uh, so the band was formed by a guy uh, named Torsten Finslau, um, a German Euro oh, yeah, dance. Know him. You guys know Torsten? <laughs> um, but it's, I think Germans loved to uh, put bands together and then just like unleash them onto Europe and hope that they break stateside too. Because uh, they did with like Mil- like Millie Vanilli is like a German like yeah, there's yeah, a German yeah. producer behind all of it. Um, the guys that did um, Rasputin, Boney M, Boney M. Uh, that those were like all people put together by a German guy. But this is a Ta- uh, Tanya Evans who um, is the singer on that, and, uh, and then just like a rotating cast of other people. But um, it's those bands crack me up because like there's a, a very loose grasp on the English language, but they're all saying in English. And then it's yeah, she's talking about greed. <laughs> and it's Mr. Vane. <laughs> it's like, well, it's, a, it's the same thing, right? Vane and greed. Uh, whatever. Yeah, yeah, just whatever you want. Just dance. Yeah. Just dance, man. <laughs> I got to say, this is like a like a really good uh, corollary to something about the film that bothered me. And that the one ki- like murder that I didn't remember too clearly was it pride def- yeah it's pride but it's definitely vanity mm-hmm. because it's it's like a the saw one where it's like the woman gets her <laughs> jesus Christ, the woman gets her face cut off and she has to decide whether to call the police like call an ambulance or kill herself with sleeping pills and it was yeah. like um that's totally vanity which i think in a lot of the versions of like there's different versions of the seven deadly sins and yeah. i think vanity is in like half of them and pride is like maybe like a kind of a a little bit of a twist on that but uh it's like yeah it's like that's not pride yeah i don't pride, know i mean pride is like boastfulness and like yeah. hubris i think uh in the way that it's like seven but i remember in lower school we had like pride politeness respect integrity discipline excellence <laughs> yeah, and pride. i was like 
pride? Like, shouldn't we? Isn't that a deadly sin for us to be? Yeah, in America, I think we're taught to uh, aspire to pride, right? No, no. We have a fest. We have like a we have a parade every year. Oh yeah, the pride parade. Yeah. Oh no. All right, let's move on. Let's move on. Right along. I've got a song for us. This is the song "Young Lust." This is a song by Pink Floyd from the Wall in 1979. Let's hear a little bit of that. Yeah, that uh, that's from 1979, from The Wall, and uh, lead vocals on that song are sung by David Gilmour, and uh, Roger Waters is singing the uh, the background on that song, and uh, the lyrics are about a uh, rock and roll refugee seeking, uh, you know, some uh, casual sex to relieve the uh, tedium of touring. And it's, uh, you know, one of the few Pink Floyd songs where uh, David Gilmour is playing bass in the studio and uh one of the few songs that david gilmore was able to like squeeze in some co-writing <laughs> with roger waters for the wall so the wall is after is that the the record right after uh dark side or is that what you were there i can't remember what the order is it is but that's like definitely uh, the, the wall was basically like their last album like, okay. with with the four of them and uh the wall is like the story of pink who's this Im- like alienated rock star it seems like uh like ancestors from uh money you know from dark side yeah which is uh another you know it could, could definitely be another sin <laughs> it's like greed greed to lust greed, and it seems yeah. like it's uh money it's a gas yeah like on the late floyd records there was always like one like kind of a uh, sludgy disco track yeah and and this is like that and i i really like the song it's a great song. Great song. Gentlemen, that is the soundtrack. All right. We did it. To we seven. It we got through it. But uh, yeah. Uh, what do we got planned for uh, next week? We've got a, um, a soundtrack called My Best Friend's Wedding. I think My Best might, Friend's Wedding. We might have a guest in the studio for the first we time. We might have a guest. Yeah. In like probably a year and a half. Yeah. <laughs> since pre-pandemic. We haven't had a guest yeah, yeah. since pre-pandemic. This is, a, this is a guest pick. Yes, it is. Yes. Yes, it is. But we will reveal more on instagram or twitter <laughs> yeah w- watch uh, my best friend's wedding with us this week and yeah. uh follow along at home schedule's willing it'll uh happen next week fingers crossed <laughs> <laughs> what a great ending yeah. what a great ending people don't listen to the yeah. ending do they <laughs> no one's made it this far <laughs> we love you guys thanks for listening and uh we'll see you next week bye bye bye, bye.